0: Hello and welcome to a special edition of our season of Tarantino, where we are revisiting an episode of the past. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm John Roca, a writer, producer, host, an avid Quentin Tarantino fan, along with
0: my friend Steve Morris over here. Well, I think you'd have to be an avid Quentin Tarantino fan to spend as much time as we have been spending talking about this great director and, of course, I don't think we could have done a season of Tarantino without releasing what I know is one of my favorite episodes of The Cinephiles, and I think is one of yours, and that is our episode on Pulp Fiction with sasha pearl raver as our guest
1: yeah i mean sasha you know now has kind of uh, kind of blown up on her own here with all the script writing and uh, the future of directing that she's going to be doing at some point so it's it's kind of almost like a time capsule episode steve where we we went to sasha pearl raver's house this is when you know sasha was still doing the stuff that i was doing which is like you know going on to the shows and talking about movies and being a pundit and so her points of views are so Fun to experience yet again, her um, just kind of unfiltered approach to the world. And there's such a genuine joy that uh, Sasha brings to her analysis of Pulp Fiction that I think was a great, interesting new color that you and I experienced for the first time on our show as we were kind of still building our show as well.
0: I couldn't agree more. I love having Sasha on a guest so much. And it's, you know, I know she's busy, and I'm glad her career is going great. But I'd love her back on the cinephiles. And I'll tell you something. This is our 43rd episode. It was recorded back in 2017 in the spring. And so it's not super long. If we were to do this today, it would be three parts easily. And yet, this is such a great episode. I really wouldn't change a thing. And the biggest thing I wouldn't change is... You never know what Sasha's going to say. I mean, it's just she's just so filled with passion and energy, and she doesn't have that sensor, and that was so great getting into this conversation with her.
1: Those are rare people in the world that are just so unabashedly themselves, and they're aware of it at the same time while they're still being themselves, and Sasha has that, and it's uh, you know so great to be around the energy. But Steve, we also had a great conversation just talking about all the stuff that's going on in Pulp Fiction. Not one of my... Not my top Tarantino film, and for a lot of people it is, and certainly was for Sasha. And uh, I think you have this pretty high on your list as well. So a great film to come back and and re-explore, especially after we've been doing the season of Quentin Tarantino. It's a whole different approach I have to watching this movie than I would have had before we've embarked on these conversations and these recordings for Reservoir Dogs and Django Unchained.
0: I've been thinking about a lot, and I actually think Pulp Fiction's number two for me. Mm. I think wow. Reservoir Dogs is number one. I think Pulp Fiction – and part of it is, you know, this thing that obviously everyone's heard me say a million times now, which which is my discomfort with sort of the revenge fantasy element of Quentin Tarantino. Well, that's not in Pulp Fiction. And right. it's also him just – the film is super tight and he's just having so much fun and it is it, – and Pulp Fiction, you know, it's revolutionary. This is a revolutionary yeah. film.
1: Yeah, still affecting and influencing so many uh, filmmakers today. And you're absolutely right. This is one of those interesting films where things happen to people there in all these different tales. There isn't revenge necessarily. Now no. the Bruce Willis thing is revenge in a in a small, very small way because this stuff happens to him, and so he has to definitely kill all these people and uh, save Marcellus Wallace because of what he experienced so there is a little bit of a wrench factor but it's not the overall guiding principle and i think that makes this such a unique and interesting film in tarantino's resume
0: let me ask you a question sure to expand one of the subplots in tarantino come on in in pulp fiction into a feature oh it's not
1: a question then what would it be what would you (laughs) say bruce willis marcellus wallace give me all of that give me all of that i would recast the young actress and get someone else to play that character. I I really didn't like her. I know she was big at the time because of Henry and June, but I would have found a different actress to play that role. And I would have expanded out the Marcellus Wallace stuff. I would have brought in Uma Thurman, There would have been some nice scenes with her and Marcellus that would have led us into the Bruce Willis stuff. I think you could still could have weaved in John Travolta, especially with the Palooka stuff. How does that play into all of this? And, of course, him showing up at his house. So there's a lot that you could have still expanded out into this world. And even the cab driver, what's her part? Like, does Mm. she reappear again if you expand this out into a feature? So there's so much that I, I thoroughly enjoy. It's my favorite. Oh, and the Christopher Walken stuff. How could I forget? All of that. So there's much more that you could have done, I think, with that particular story that would have absolutely been an incredible feature film uh, for Tarantino to do, in my opinion.
0: So you know what I just figured out? Is, that, is that it's not just that we're going to have a, a spin-off where we just go deeper into that movie. Mm-hmm. John, you know how every studio is trying to create a universe where they can do multiple interwoven films? <laughs> yes. I want to create the Pulp Fiction universe. So you have... Oh, yeah a Vietnam-era POW movie starring the young Christopher Walken character. You have The Adventures of the Wolf, who's going out and going and solving all of his crimes, and you've got the... Kawhi Chang Kane walk the earth story of Samuel Jackson's character yeah. after Pulp Fiction. Right. And you have the mob stories of Marcellus Wallace. I think you, the, and all of these exist in an interwoven MCU level of Tarantino universe. What do you think? I'm
1: sure they do exist in Tarantino's head already. So yeah, I'd say a hundred percent. If you're green late, green, we're about, I mean, we just got the news that Michael B. Jordan is about to take the creed uh, character into a, essentially a creed verse so, uh, like, including doing an anime version of Creed down the road. So, to me, why not? If he can do that with this one character, I'm sure Tarantino can do it with these multitude of characters and rich characters that we get to experience
0: in Pulp Fiction. And I have one more question for you before we <laughs> jump into the movie. What do you think is the most revolutionary thing about the movie Pulp Fiction? I think, the I th- not to have the easy answer, but to see how he takes... The
1: jumping back and forth in time element that we've seen in other movies and absolutely perfects it in this film and makes it work so much so that the audience at times when they watch it the first time is a little bit behind the eight ball trying to figure out how everything works. But once it all clicks into place, it is such a satisfying moment that I think that is something that you rarely see from filmmakers uh, when they're playing with this jumping back and forth type of uh, aspect for their film so uh, that's that's the number one thing that sticks out to me what about you
0: i 100 agree that's exactly what i would say it's the way he structures the film that is revolutionary yeah. it is exciting and i think without further ado we at the cinephiles are very proud to take you back to one of our favorite episodes our exploration of quentin tarantino's pulp fiction with special guest sasha pearl raver John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old. And this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode.
2: And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger, those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance
0: upon thee. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing
1: instructor in Los Angeles, California. Welcome, everybody. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, host of
0: numerous shows, and occasionally an actor here in Los Angeles. And we're very happy to welcome a woman who needs no introduction from me. <laughs> because she said that she would do a far better job than I did. She'd be true. True. Yes. That is, that's the sense that's that true. I got. I
3: said, if you want me to do it, look, you guys just introduced yourselves. Yes. So if you want, I am Sasha Pearl Raver. I'm the host of FX Movie Download. And you can see me all the time on Screen Junkies News as well as a bunch of other places. Yeah. And I am mother of Swayze and all things crazy. Wow. Mother
0: of Swayze Boom. and all things crazy. Yeah. Nice. And, and I what I learned in my hosting um, class was always start with insulting the guest. Oh good. That's just the best <laughs> way to it, do it. Bro. So I feel like I'm doing really well <laughs> and I feel like there should be some contention in this anyway because the movie what? we're talking about today is Pulp Fiction yeah, which has some of mm-hmm. the craziest conflicts in any movie I can think of. Mm-hmm. Before
3: we actually get into that okay. how R-rated can this podcast get because Absolutely we are R-rated. talking Tarantino. Well yeah. I
0: guess we can have nudity because it's audio only so <laughs> I would like to stay away from any really Really brutal violence? No, yeah, it's great, but
3: the fact that is not wearing pants is already That's perfect. Right. Just shirt cocking it up right Strip here on podcasting. the podcast.
0: Look, you got to be relaxed when you do an audio. <laughs> Every no.
1: point, I take off a piece of clothes, yes.
0: <laughs> Every time there's a racial epithet. We <laughs> know, oh, oh it. boy.
3: It's a good yeah, thing yeah, we're not doing Django. That,
0: yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> on that note, Sasha, how did you first come to Pulp Fiction.
3: I was talking about this actually when I was watching the movie. I was thinking about the moment that I saw it because I remember it so, so vividly. Uh, You and I both are Northern California children. Right. And I went to high school at this teeny little place, a little private school in Berkeley, um, right off of Telegraph Avenue. And there was this awesome movie theater that I didn't know at the time, but now I know was an independent movie theater just down the block, and it was like where I saw kids, even though I wasn't supposed to see it because it was NC-17. I I, I know the theater. Yes, they were playing Pulp Fiction, and uh, I got out of school at three, but the first showing was at noon, and I cut my last three classes because I wanted to see the film print before it got any dirt wow. or hair or anything else I on like it. that you were
0: that geeky in, wow. in high school. I was. My
3: dad taught me that trick. He used to pull me out of school when there was a big movie opening because he wanted to see it when the film print was still fresh. <laughs> That's awesome. It was awesome. I actually just saw a movie, and it was on film, and there was all this grit and grizzle on it. And I was like,
4: yeah, you
3: know it's film. <laughs> There's a the cigarette burn. Right. There were some really bad reel changes because like projectionists right. don't know how to do it anymore. Yeah. Um, but I skipped class and I went and I saw this movie and it was because I was obsessed with Reservoir Dogs I didn't know anything going into it I had not seen a preview and I honestly can tell you that watching that movie I don't think that I would have the job that I have now I don't think I would have had the career I had I don't think I would have studied film at USC if I hadn't seen that movie it blew my mind in every single possible way and I walked out of the theater I paid another, I think it was like six bucks. That's what cheap movies were back then. Yeah. And I went and I saw it again. Wow. I mean, I was just, I was completely smitten. That's,
1: that's a, amazing. We picked the perfect guest. Apparently,
3: <laughs> pi- yeah.
0: Well, actually, really, you picked, <laughs> I picked it. I was that's like, right, I want to talk about Pulp Fiction. That's right. Uh, and by the way, so I went to school in Berkeley and I went to film school at USC. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yes, Steve. So we got a, we got a lot love going it. on here. All right. That's great. John, how'd you first come to the film? Well, I went to film school at UCLA. No, I'm joking. It's
1: um, okay. We still love you. <laughs> you. <laughs> uh, I, uh, 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 I'm a little bit older than Sasha. So I saw when I was, when I had tried my first trip through college to go to college, and I remember this film coming out, um, I, I was massive fan of Reservoir Dogs. Um, so much so that I would get it on VHS and we would have viewings. Like I would have friends come over and watch it with me because I wanted them to see what this amazing film was. It is still, maybe aside from Kill Bill, my favorite film is Reservoir Dogs of Tarantino just because of everything that's attached to it. But I went to see it. It was at this place called University Mall Theaters 3 in Fairfax, Virginia, and I went and saw it right after my classes were done, Uh, and I was like blown away by the movie. I had to step out of the theater a couple of times because I couldn't handle the narrative switches mm-hmm. and I was trying to get them in my brain before I went back into the theater. I saw it every day for the next four days. Oh, like, that's I went, awesome. I went after classes every day because it was like four bucks to go because of the university theater yeah. so it was cheaper. And the, I mean, the sound wasn't great. The seats were terrible. and I just remember being so blown away by this movie and challenged by this movie in a way that I hadn't been before. I guess because I hadn't seen a lot of ultimate Either with those multiple storyline things, but this was something that was constantly challenging your time narrative all the time, and you were like, "Wait, why is Travolta alive here when he just got killed here?" What? Spire. Wait, why are they? yeah, all you're right, exactly. All it's, these things that were happening. You know, happening.
3: a thirty or twenty-three. Math's hard. So we're cool? twenty-three-year-old movie. Yeah. I think people I think should have cool.
0: seen
1: it by now. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. If, why are they listening if they don't? <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to the cinephiles,
0: so, you know there's, it's all spoiled. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and and
1: I remember walking, and I remember it, it has been a film that I, I cannot watch all the time, but when I revisit it, it's almost... Like I'm revisiting it for the first time over again, and especially for this podcast, it happened again because living in LA, you start to see these things that you had, like you had no concept of when you were there in terms of locations and places. But the longer you live here, and the longer you drive around and you go to different areas of the city, you see where they shot a lot of this, and that's part of the joy in rewatching the movie. Yeah, again. It, totally. And it's
0: such an LA movie, yeah, in a way that like there are a lot of movies that are very Hollywoody and glitzy that are showing a certain vision of LA. Yeah, but for the most of us who come to L.A. with no money and you're living in some crappy apartment mm-hmm. and you're, you know, this is what L.A. looks like. Yeah, and one last,
1: one last thing I want to say, the reason I also wanted to see it is because I'm a massive Travolta fan since I was a child. In fact, that's how, when I changed my name at nine years old, I took John because of John Travolta's name. Oh, how, how
0: could I have what? never known that? Yeah,
1: I mean, because I didn't like what my parents named me. And what did I, they name I'm, you? I'm, that's something that only my girlfriends or ex girlfriends or intimate people know. But like, really? they name me, and I did not like John. My we name. share so, a podcast. What is more intimate? <laughs> well, than this. People listening are. So it was. I changed it at nine years. I'll edit it out. Just say it. And I was in Virginia. Really. Okay. <laughs> no,
3: Don't trust him Don't, don't trust, trust him. him Look at that
1: Because when we moved To a, a new city I changed my name completely When we moved to a new city Because I wanted to be And my mom said Stephen Because she'd always Wanted to name me Stephen And I said John a good name I'm A massive Travolta fan So this was his comeback This was his comeback mm-hmm. and, beca- and I was so excited To see him coming back After the Look Who's Talking Debacles And to see him In something like this I was like so excited To see Travolta again You know That's, That's awesome him.
0: Yeah uh, So I saw it uh, I was in film school Living in L.A. I'd been here about a year. Uh, I saw it in Westwood, and I just remember, like, once that ride starts, you know, it's. Fu- I mean, as I mean, you you've known me a while. Mm. As an intellectual guy, I can enjoy a movie without necessarily getting swept up in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I could just sure. be observing and going, yes, this is well made. Yes, the emotions are being felt here, you right. know, like that kind of thing. And I, once Pulp Fiction started, I didn't know where I was. <laughs> yeah. You know, I right. just got effect. so lost within that film. Yeah. Um, and it is such a profound, I think, departure in film history. Like, what, there's before Pulp Fiction and there's after Pulp Fiction. Absolutely. In right, the same exactly. way there's like before Star Wars and after Star mm-hmm. Wars. You know, just everything changes at, the, at that moment. And just like both of you, I was a huge Reservoir Dog fan. So I saw it opening night, and still was just blown away mm-hmm. by it. Um, so, first of all, the movie starts with an idea with between uh, Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery, who kind of maybe gets screwed in this process.
3: Kind of. <laughs> kind yeah. of. He's a co-writer on it, and suddenly he, all he has is a story by credit. Oof. I mean, there's so many things. I feel like... so. One of the things that I found out many, many, many years after watching it for the first time was that Roger Avery took scenes that were supposed to be in true romance and then put them into Pulp Fiction. And urban legend, although I've never heard this confirmed by Avery, is that it's the the great pocket watch scene. Yes. I mean, come on. Which I would assume. I mean, wouldn't you maybe see that with like. Maybe in a, like a Dennis Hopper moment from yeah, True Romance. Definitely like, I see that. Yeah, definitely talking to Christian, Um, So that supposedly comes from there and also the scene with the big Ahuna Burger and mm. like all that stuff with Marvin and Brett and blah, 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 blah. I don't know though. As I watch it, I mean, if you were to pick out the scenes that you think Roger Avery wrote for – because I would assume it would be like the Honey Bunny stuff. But maybe I'm just being crazy.
0: Yeah. I, I, I don't, you I can mean, make that correlation, sure. I don't know because Quentin Tarantino's dialogue is so recognizable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 of course, it might just be some, you know, mental framing effect that because I know what Quentin I think Quentin Tarantino sounds like, that I hear the watch, the honey bunny stuff, whatever, and I go, that sounds like Quentin Tarantino to me. Mm-hmm. Right now, maybe that's not the case, and it might also be that there he wrote a scene with a watch and a guy and this story, and that was his idea, right. and then the and then the Tarantino ness came in, you know, and who and and this is the thing about any collaboration is sometimes it's really hard to figure out who contributed what. you know, Because you might have written that line, but you wouldn't have thought of writing that line until someone else said this thing. Mm -hmm. And if Mm. you hadn't been in that circumstance, it never would have happened. And so it's really hard because, I I, I don't know, Mr. Tarantino, but um, this seems like a dick move. I mean, this seems horrible. (laughs) And, And I don't know, I can't decide how much credit he deserved or how much credit Roger Avery deserved. I know what my a uh, favorite theater teacher taught me is there was a moment where i was trying to decide whether i should take credit for this fight choreography in this play that i directed and my th- and i felt that i had really done it and i was working with this young guy who i was fencing with to help me come up with it and my theater teacher said you're the director you can never give away enough credit if the if, if the if the project succeeds you're going to get all the praise mm-hmm. and if it fails it's all your blame Credit is a gift you get to give to people. And I went, You're right. And I gave the other guy all the credit. That guy today is a professional fight choreographer. Wow That's very cool. Yeah. And 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 this is his first fight choreography. And it felt and I it's funny because I still go like, I kind of did a lot of that fight choreography, mm. but I feel good about it because he was right. The play was my play. Yeah. You know, and and so I look at this moment of Quentin Tarantino, of course we're at the end, the movie's a big success, going, I think you just get story by. Did, did, they get, did it happen after the movie was released? Yeah, they bo-
3: agreed that they would have co-writing credit and right. that Tarantino would have directing credit and then write, like, as they're doing all, like, the whirlwind press, the and Red can. And, yeah. yeah. And as they realize they what it's going to be credit. and they change the credits from co-written by <sighs> to story by co-credit and written by and directed by Tarantino. So here's the thing, because I think about that a lot. And I, I love what your teacher said. That's something I'm totally going to, I'm going to carry that with
4: yeah. me yeah. for the
3: rest of my life. But... When I look at what Roger Avery has been able to do, because like you said, relationships and collaborations are a really tough yeah. back, I think you can also see it when directors get married to each other. Like Miranda July has had such a profound impact on Mike Mills. Oh. Sophia Coppola's work has totally Spike, changed yeah, since she got right, like right. divorced from Spike Jones. Exactly. When I look at Roger Avery, once that Tarantino yep. connection went away, yeah. it definitely like nobody's you know, dying to see killing Zoe again. Right, you know, right. I think that what you're saying is probably he did do a lot of the work and it is a very Tarantino film. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to make the crossover and like, this is my hallmark. Right. This is my trademark. This is my calling card. And damn, if it isn't one of the greatest calling cards of all time.
1: Well, this may be sacrilege to say, but you could even look at Stanley Don and Gene Kelly. Like, yes, they worked oh. together on the singing in the rain and on the town, but, and went on and had these fantastic films, but yeah. no one's dying to see Hello Dolly or Xanadu again, which is
0: what Kelly directed solo. And so, <laughs> you know, I think to differ, Wally is dying to see Hello Dolly <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> well, just that one, it's right. Oh, god, um, that film, I love that film!
1: <laughs> it's a great film, yeah, makes um, me cry every time. Well, yeah. all,
0: again, you cannot separate out yeah. collaborations. What we can know is that we can see Quentin Tarantino's <laughs> career and we could go. I think this is his movie. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't know what Roger Avery contributed, mm-hmm. and maybe it's a lot, but it's still a Tarantino film. Right. 100%. Yeah. Uh, so because of the success of Reservoir Dogs, uh, Miramax, who's just this is really the beginning of Miramax, and Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein goes, I'm interested in the script. A lot of people, I think it had been at... Um, Tristar. Was it Tristar? It was at Tristar, mm. and
3: Tristar called it Too Demented. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which I think is a compliment. I, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but but
0: you can understand them not wanting to get into this kind of business sure, at that time because sure. there's nothing like this
3: yeah but also I mean it really is I think like we're talking about putting flags in the ground Yeah. this is where Harvey Weinstein put a flag in the ground no and was like alright I got all this money from Disney I'm going to put 8.5 million dollars yeah. into this because this is what I believe in this is the kind of filmmaking that I'm going to champion and that made his career just as much as it made anybody else's
0: absolutely mm-hmm. and made a whole bunch of other movies That were able to happen Mm -hmm. because of this that probably wouldn't have happened without pulp fiction i still
1: think pulp fiction is the crown jewel of the independent movement of the 90s i think it is the crown jewel it is the one that is the nate it is what everything the touchstone i'm sorry the touchstone it is the touchstone from which everything stems from you know this one showed what what you could do with independent filmmaking so many people came and tried to copy it and then but he still endures of all the independent filmmakers yeah Tarantino is still the king of them from that time in the 90s, in my I, opinion.
0: I totally agree, yep. and to the point where he kind of transcends independent filmmaking. Absolutely. But I, still, know. his... F- Films feel that way. Even something like April
1: Eight has that vibe to it. They're his movies. Yeah, I was watching Death Proof again. Last. They were showing the Grindhouse whole combination last night on Stars. Nice, or one of those, or maybe Encore. And I sat and watched all three hours because I absolutely loved uh, the entire Groundhouse combination. Yeah. I don't like when they separate the movies in their hour and a half each. I like when they're combined with the trailers. That was I went and see that I went and saw that three times in the theaters because Tarantino he understands that type of movie that type of vibe and he brings that vibe to his movies that independent film which is which is the homage to the 70s stuff which is where that genesis is you know from rather.
0: It's no question about it. Am I off the rails? I'm sorry. No, I'm you're just, on no, the no, rails. No, no, I'm ag- i I'm agree with you excited. so much. I had okay. just had nothing to add. All I was thinking about was that was perfect. Now I have okay. to figure out how to change the subject. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> which is <laughs> just which is hard sometimes. Me. I'm just going. On and maybe you'll time. hear this, and maybe I'll edit it out. Uh, oh no! <laughs> no <one will laughs> Don't ever, edit it oh, no, out. No. All right. <laughs> I promise you it won't be edited Let's be, Let
3: this be the first unredacted episode.
0: No, it's never going to happen. <laughs> I'm too much of a control freak. <laughs> Everything has to be perfect. Fair enough. Um, so somewhere in this time, after Reservoir Dogs, Tarantino gets to go talk to one of his heroes, which is John Travolta. Mm. And from the story I've heard, they basically talk all night.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: at the end of which, he offers him the fantastic part of the lead in Dust Till Dawn.
4: Oh, really? really? I have really. not heard this story. Yeah, oh seriously. Yeah,
0: and Tarantino. This is according to Tarantino. I saw an interview with him, and Tarantino heard this is like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't. I don't like vampires. That doesn't sound fun at all. And he had also been talking about this other movie that he had Michael Matson to play the lead in. Right. And because uh, yeah. And and Tar- and. And uh, Travolta's going, man, that one sounds kind of interesting. And fortunately for all of us, except possibly for Michael Madsen, Tombstone comes up. And so Madsen goes off to play oh. in Tombstone and turns down Pulp Fiction. No, no. wide Earp? White Earp. White Earp. He, yes. He's White Earp. Sorry, not Lawrence Tombstone. Lawrence Yeah, Black Kasdan one. Yeah, yeah, he Black plays, Kasdan one. I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: which is such a weird casting to put him as Morgan Earp. Yeah, For a second,
3: and- I thought maybe he played the Val Kilmer part in Tombstone, and I was like, did I not know that that sorry. was originally his sorry. part? And then Val Kilmer swept in? <laughs> Whoa. All right.
0: That would be a, quite a battle. Madsen versus Kilmer.
3: Especially now. That's like a sumo wrestling match. (laughs) Stop it. Stop it, you. Oh, I'm sorry. He's lost weight. I'm sorry. Who? The throat
1: cancer has made him lose weight Kilmer. He's
0: not heavy anymore.
1: Oh,
3: I thought,
0: all right, fine. Sure, you got to bring cancer into it. I know that cancer <laughs> trumps everything. <It's> just
4: like <laughs> <laughs>
0: so. So Madsen is out. Yeah, And Travolta raises his hand, and that's how John Travolta ends up in this movie. Well,
1: that's make, that's, that's great because the Vega is the last name of the character, and that's his name in Reservoir Dogs. So I wonder if he because there's always there's always been those rumors that Tarantino had written a Vega Brothers movie, yeah. which would have been everything. I mean everything It can at still that time.
3: happen. They're both still alive. I guess. No,
0: but their characters are both dead. Yeah,
3: right. <laughs> but it could be a prequel of a. But it's so like you're a. So are gonna cast a, they're, the they're, 65. No, they're gonna CGI it. They'll CGI it. <laughs> it'll be animated. It'll be, it'll be them, <laughs> but it'll all be mocap. It'll I be like think, Harold and Lloyd. Oh, that's so <laughs> true. Are you listening, Quentin? Because oh, I think
0: we got something here for you. Uh, uh, I yeah. Think this well, is no, good. they, they
3: can do a rewrite. Maybe they're they're in heaven. They come back down. Well, the thing about the Tarantino thing yeah. and the Travolta thing and all of the people whose careers he's been able to resurrect. Like, do you think? Anybody would have known About Pam Greer mm. In like the late 90s Early 2000s Well I knew about it. But I th- I'm saying Like younger generation took a class In exploitation and kung fu
0: films When right. I was at USC
3: Hey Whoa. Well let's get Black Dynamite Made as a Netflix show Because I feel oh. like They totally screwed up uh, The get down So yeah. let's do Black right. Dynamite Okay but There are so many actors That really Have had were con- yeah. reconnaissances because of <laughs> Travolta <laughs> and because that of what That is a
0: fantastic word Right yes.
3: It's a reconnaissance thanks to the Travolta Tarantino right. Like that sort of symbiosis and what came out of it because I love Travolta from Welcome Back, Cotter mm, Me too And I Hell yeah. grew up I only owned My parents made laser discs when I was a kid oh,
0: They made, cutting, made
3: cutting edge They produced laser discs That's awesome Wow Yeah So we had a laser disc player oh. in our house and we only yeah. owned six movies and one of the movies was Saturday Night Fever Yes So I watched Saturday Night Fever I mean, innumerable times. Ugh. So I love Travolta, and when he did go through the "Look Who's Talking" period mm-hmm. and just sort of disappeared, to see him in this part and Samuel L. Jackson would Samuel L. Jackson have the career he has if of it weren't not. for not what for Tarantino, Tarantino has to, done? Absolutely. I mean, there are people whose entire like golden yellow brick roads have been paved right. by what Tarantino has written for them.
0: Did you know? And I just found out that Samuel L. Jackson auditioned for the part audition for Reservoir Dogs for the other cop teaching Tim Roth. Oh, that makes sense. Oh. And didn't get the part.
3: Oh, he's and, being saved for something better. Well, yeah.
0: and, and he goes to Sundance, sees Reservoir Dogs at Sundance. Sees Tarantino. Tarantino rushes up to him, remembers him and says the first thing he asks is, "What do you think th- about the guy who got your part?" Oh,
1: wow. Oh,
0: standard Tarantino. It sounds
1: (laughs) perfectly correct. (laughs)
0: It's a kind of a rough place to start. But then the next thing he says is, I'm writing this other part for you. Yeah.
3: That's incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So he had Samuel Jackson in mind from the beginning.
3: As well, you should.
0: And there's no question this makes his career. Yeah. No question. Yeah. I mean, this is such a tour de force for him.
3: Well, Mm -hmm. I mean, I am, first of all, I'm a Jew, but second of all, do you think I, I'm not somebody who could ever quote a Bible verse, but I can quote?
0: You could quote to Ezekiel yeah. 2517.
3: 25. Come on. I'm not going to do it here because it would just not do the justice that Sam deserves, Please. but come on. But Wait, Kevin,
0: okay, is this a supplementary uh, release in the podcast? <laughs> just, just a little standalone?
3: Standalone extra. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What's fascinating about this is
1: th- there is no religion in this film, there are no cops, it's all criminals. And there is no—it's nihilistic type of film because even he undercuts the religious thing at the end when he says that's something I just used to say because I thought it was badass to say. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say he's religious, and so the whole—he well, does spend a lot of time talking about an act of God, <laughs> right? Eventually, right? Divine intervention—that's that's his journey. Yeah. But I mean, the film itself, through, through most of the film, is nihilistic. Everyone is kind of stemming off Marcellus Wallace. Everyone is doing their own thing, through their own code. Bruce Willis kills a guy in a boxing ring and has no. Uh, sorrow about it in the car. People these are these are not like good people. These are people who have varying degrees of their of their lives to function within, but they're not necessarily good people and I think that was fascinating watching this now hmm. at this age watching it again like how devoid of a police presence and how devoid of religion this film actually is well, And, ba- until and the basic
0: end. morality.
3: Yeah, basic morality yeah. until the end, right. Like exactly. no nope, yeah.
0: good doing something good is Rarely a motivation with a couple of really big exceptions exactly yeah, Ooh, yeah. what
3: are the exceptions?
0: Stay tuned
3: <laughs> okay
0: so uh, we we get our cast together Eric Stoltz, Uma Thurman, and Bruce Willis of course is the is the mm-hmm. name person that helps us raise a budget. Um, and Bruce had not been off of a few good years at this point <laughs> yeah. And then he's probably going to, he, he tends to go through that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But this is a film you can say that for,
1: right, Steven? This is what's great. You brought up the cast. Eric Stoltz had kind of fallen off the map. Sure. Rosanna Arquette had fallen. These, all yeah. these 80s stars yeah. had fallen off the map. Mm-hmm. And here comes Tarantino, stripping them of their 80s bullshit and going in touch and finding their true essence as actors. Eric Stoltz was always out of the mainstream. They fired him off Back to the Future. Rosanna Arquette was always an uncomfortable mainstream uh, Ingenue In the 80s So right. Desperately Seeking Susan Is actually A very irreverent Subversive film If you watch I don't so, think I've seen that Since the oh, really? 80s What Oh, oh, oh you gotta rewatch good. it yeah. Yeah. It's really enjoyable but, One of my favorite Quiet 80s films Was a film she did With Aidan Quinn Called Nobody's Fool Oh sure Yeah It goes against The convention of romantic comedy And so He finds these Like these little diamonds In the rough and, exp- and brings them Into a script like this To really showcase Their acting abilities And their grittiness Their dirt And I thought that was So well, great you, you I think
0: I think part of it is is that the way I was just thinking as you were talking is that time yeah. and culture move on. Yes. And Tarantino doesn't. Yes. Mm -hmm. Is that Tarantino goes, I saw that thing when I was 15 or 12 or 13 and it was great. And it's still great. And let me show you why it's great. Yes. Is that he isn't interested. Hollywood is always interested in the next thing. Mm -hmm. What is the thing that the kids like today? And if they liked it today, they will not like it tomorrow. And Tarantino is like this thing I liked when I was a kid, John Travolta or whatever, or these movies. They're great. And I will always think they're great, and I will show you how they're mm-hmm. great.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. And also, I feel like that's what his films are, too. I mean, that's why we can sit here and talk about a movie that is 23 years old yeah. and say, no, 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 because this changed everything. But also, you can look to all the influences. Yes. Like the taxi cab ride that Bruce Willis yeah. takes. There are so many throwbacks, like with the rear projection. There's yes. so many like yep. coloration techniques that he uses. There's yes. so many things where you can see, like Hitchcock. You can see, like you said, uh, Altman. You can see yep. a million different things. You can see every influence, and yet it's all 100% his own take on it. But it is because he's like, you don't remember why this thing was great, but I do, and I will show you. I love that you, I've never been able to put my finger on that. That was so fantastic. I love it, Steve. Oh, good.
0: Well, and this is the thing that we talked about in Reservoir Dogs when we did that podcast is that, and I highly recommend you go back and listen to it, uh, is that Tarantino is creating the platonic ideal of movies from the past that are even better than what they actually were because if you watch those 70s films and I've watched a lot of them Mm -hmm. a lot of them are pretty terrible Mm. you know they're enjoyable and campy but but They don't have a great filmmaker and a great writer like Quentin Tarantino at the helm, Mm. you know, that his vision of what those movies were like you look at Kill Bill and you compare that to your average Kung Fu revenge film from 1973 and Kill Bill blows it away in terms of technique and filmmaking and thought Mm -hmm. and creativity. Um, But it also captures an essence of those films and brings it up to this huge level. And the other thing about Tarantino that's always interesting to me is I don't think you ever forget you're watching a movie is that Tarantino will continue to remind you in ways oh, yeah. that this is a film. Sort you know? of like,
3: it's like La La Land in that it exactly. is a tip of the hat to how much yeah. he loves the filmmaking process yeah. by showing you, I mean, one of the things that is so perfect in this, this was actually one of the moments where um, I remember my brain just exploding, is when they pull up to Jack Rabbit Slims yeah. and Uma Thurman draws the rectangle and then it evaporates. Yep. Yes. That. Me
0: too. I had the same experience when I saw it.
3: Yeah. And I still, every time yeah. I see it, I'm just like, oh, come on. It does bother me though now. That she says don't be a square and, and she, she draws a rectangle, a rectangle. Yeah, that occurred to me for the first time ever like
1: it never bothered me before and then this person was like wait that's a fucking rectangle I was like oh, how come that never occurred to me
3: damn but it it's so cool that yeah. was like the epitome of but like you're saying he's so aware of yes you're watching a movie this is mm. filmmaking and also these are techniques that I loved and these are visuals that I can recognize that's yeah. why when you can see like really shoddy rear screen projection yeah. it actually gets me kind of hyped it's great it was yeah. awesome
0: because it doesn't have potential to it. it's not trying to fool no. you. Yeah. Well, and the thing too, and again, this came up in Reservoir Dogs, is the old school philosophy of how to learn to write was go out and live life. You know, go the Ernest Hemingway, go fight bulls and get in the boxing <laughs> ring and sail. And Quentin Tarantino learned and how drink. to drink. You forgot dr- and drink. Well, That's the Hemingway <laughs> philosophy. Drink. Tarantino, who might have done that part, or actually probably smoke more weed. <laughs> yes. Um, his philosophy was watch movies. Yeah. yeah. He didn't go out and live life. So his language, his vocabulary is the vocabulary of movies. Mm -hmm. And his movies are movies about movies Mm -hmm. on a fundamental level.
1: That's why all the totems throughout this whole film are... Pop culture totems. Absolutely. Every place they go, every place, everything they talk about is pop culture totem. The fawns, uh, the pigs. The when they go to, uh, they go to Jackrabbit Slims. Like these are all, all pop culture. This is yeah. all they have as tent poles in
0: their lives well, and from and, which and to base Vincent their philosophies. It's though. time for them to get into character. Yeah. You know, yeah it's character all about movies yeah. and roles. Yeah. All, yeah. So let's get into this movie. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we start off, and I love one of the things that's very small on a filmmaking level is uh, most movies fade in. Yes. This movie starts on a hard cut. Yeah. And it's that's such, it's a really small choice, but it sets the style in such a strong way and we're just in the middle of this conversation Yeah, with Honey Bunny and Pumpkin. Well, he lays the groundwork with the definition. And right. then boom
1: And yeah. I think that's perfect I think you're right Exactly Because it lets you know This is what you're going to watch It's pulpy Don't be trying to think And this is some kind of Masterpiece Or this is some kind of Citizen Kane This is going to be A pulpy film We're going to go right into it And it's going to be dirty Let's yeah. go But also
3: what we don't know At the time And don't know Maybe even on Upon pursuing Until yeah. the shooting Like until Bruce Willis Shoots Vince Vega Is that you are also Not watching something That is linear right. And yes. by having that hard cut It's basically like his way Like you said Of tipping the hat to the editing process and being like we're in the middle of something and you're going to get the rest of this later which is very cool
2: forget it it's too risky i'm through doing that shit you always say that the same thing every time i'm through never again too dangerous i know that's what i always say i'm always right too but you forget about it in a day or two yeah well the days of me forgetting are over the days me remembering i've just begun You know when you go on like this, what you sound like? Sound like a sensible fucking man. You that's what I, like I sound a duck. like. You'll <coughs> take that oh, because you're never gonna have to hear it again. Because
0: since I'm never gonna do it again,
2: you're never gonna have to hear me quack. But I'm never gonna do it
0: again. After tonight. And you get that sparkling great Quentin Tarantino dialogue. And one of the things I noticed this time watching it is there's so many ideas. It's not Mm -hmm. just that the rhythm of his dialogue is great. It's not just the use of language. It's not just the use of profanity or slang, but it's also that the things he's talking about, like we're having this really interesting conversation about robbing banks versus robbing liquor stores Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. what that's all about.
2: I bet you could cut down on the hero factor in a place like this.
0: Correct. Same as banks, these places are
2: insured. Manager, <laughs> you don't give a fuck. He's just trying to get you out the door before you start plugging the diners. Waitress is fucking it. No way they're taking a bullet for the register. Busboys, some wetback, getting paid $1.50 an hour. Really give a fuck? You're stealing from the owner? Customers sitting there with food in their mouths. They don't know what's going on. One minute, they're having a Denver omelet. Next minute, someone's sticking a gun in their face. See, I got the idea. The last liquor store we stuck up, remember? Mm. All the customers kept coming in. Yeah. You got the idea, taking their wallets. Mm -hmm. Now that was a good idea. Thank you. Made more from the wallets than we did from the register. Yes, we did. A lot of people come to restaurants.
0: A lot of wallets.
2: Pretty smart, huh? Pretty
0: smart. And you're instantly in, and you're with, as your two robbers... Casting that is completely not what you would expect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are interesting characters. Yeah. Oh yeah. god
3: That's another person like Tim Rothman Yeah, his career thanks to what Tarantino has written for him is just so incredible But then at the end of that scene too I mean you're talking about like build build mm-hmm. build there's you feel like you're gonna get another sort of reservoir dogsy moment right. Where it's gonna be lots and lots of talking and then there's eventually gonna be something that goes on But you expect like that slow-mo walkout right. moment and <laughs> instead you get a man plumber jumping up screaming at everyone
2: You fucking pigs move, and I'll execute every motherfucking last one of
3: you. And then the music kicks in, and the music, the fact that he chose not to score the film, but rather just use surf music and R and B and songs that are now iconic, but at the time, very few people knew. I mean, that, the visceral reaction to watching that in a theater is just, you are dropped into this world and you are kickstarted for the next two and a half hours. And I had never known that this movie was two and a half hours long. Yeah. Yeah. Because it long. never feels that right, way. Right. It feels so like intense and pounding and quick because Constantly. the dialogue is so smart too. Mm-hmm.
0: That moment of Amanda Plummer jumping up. Oh, first man. of all, so unexpected, because you're having this conversation, and then it's like, oh, we're actually gonna rob this place. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. seem like a good plan. And <laughs> then the voice that comes out of her mm-hmm. is so crazy. It's so good. And yeah. one of the fascinating things I'm really fascinated by the choice, and this is the great Sally Menke who was the editor who passed away a few years ago, very sadly, is that the choice to Freeze frame half a second mm-hmm. before her line finishes. Yeah. It's really weird. And there's something about it that propels you as you say into that pause. We go into this grungy surf guitar and that yeah, Dick Dale. It tells you something about yeah. what this movie's gonna be. It mm-hmm. drives you forward. I wore out three cassettes of this soundtrack wow. during that time because I played it all
1: the time. Yeah. Because Jungle Boogie. And that yeah. Dick Dale opening number.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, and then Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon. Right. Oh, by yeah. Overkill. The overkill. Yeah. All these songs were just, they became the soundtrack of my 20s in the, in the 90s. So of to course. me, this was like everything, you know. And I love the fact that they, I love the camera that he does at the beginning. Camera work he does at the beginning. You're there with them. Then when they jump up, it's like you've been knocked down. Yeah. And you're looking at them like, and you're like, oh, shit. Here we go. Yeah. Like, you know, and Amanda Plummer, once again, one of these kind of out of the mainstream type of actresses. Right. She was Robert Williams's love, utopian love in, in, in Fisher King, but yeah. then she shows up in so I married an expert. So she has this ability to kind of run the spec, run the gamut of genres, but in this she's so it's unsettling and nuts, but not nuts in a typical way that you would discount someone nuts in a way that is very desperate and vulnerable and attractive and interesting. And so you go with her and when she walks, like when we go to the end, when she's walking with their head on your shoulder I love, like it. so it's such a perfect I thing love, because love, love, love. these are two lost souls trying to find some kind of meaning in their world some kind of existence and they connect with each other but they can't like they don't know where the next meal's coming from so yeah. they come up no, with this crazy is, shit.
0: this is a crazy situation yeah. we, we we're we've met <clears throat> these people we see them behave in a completely unexpected manner yeah. they're right in the middle of this robbery which looks honestly like a terrible terrible idea we <laughs> yeah. are really wondering what the hell is going to happen with this? Yeah. See some credits and then we don't see them again. Yes, right. I delated. mean that's the the because all you spend your time trying to figure out how to do as a filmmaker is get the audience interested yeah. And once you get the audience interested you stick with what they're interested in and Tarantino goes Oh, you're just in that. Eh. Yeah, let me let me have a couple of guys talk <laughs> about a, a royale <laughs> with cheese yeah. Well, let's get into the royale with cheese oh. but You know what the funniest thing
2: about Europe is what it's a little differences I mean, they got the same shit over there that they got here, but it's just just there, it's a little different. Example. All right, well, you can walk into a movie theater in Amsterdam and buy a beer. And I don't mean just like a little paper cup. I'm talking about a glass of beer. And in Paris, you can buy a beer in McDonald's. And you know what they call a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? Oh man, they got the metric system. They wouldn't know what the fuck a quarter pounder is. And What do they call it? They call it a royale with cheese. Royale with you. That's right. What do they call a Big Mac? Big Mac's a Big Mac, but they call it Le Big Mac. Le Big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> what do they call a I don't know. I didn't go
0: on a Burger King. This is the most famous scene in the movie. It was They, they played this everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not my favorite Tarantino dialogue. It's wow. It's not
3: mine either. Yeah. I mean, uh, I appreciate it. In the movie, it. it's not my favorite dialogue. It's much
0: better. The, the stuff of, I mean, obviously you couldn't put on, on, you know, Siskel and Ebert the scene about, you know, whether or not a foot massage is similar to Cunnilingus, <laughs> <laughs> that probably wouldn't play.
3: But that <clears throat> BS. If you want to talk about total Tarantino That's moments, full Tarantino. that is yeah. full frontal Tarantino. <laughs> Literally full
0: frontal.
1: Or full <laughs> footal. I yeah, don't know. full footal. Well, we, are we, are we uh, saying the conversation from the car into where they walk up to the the door right before they go in the door, because that is in some of my car. favorite no, no, dialogue. No, no, no. All the I'm saying is just car. in the car. The clip okay, that okay. was shown yeah. over and over again yeah, yeah, yeah. is the Royalty. Yeah, so right, that's right. the
0: like you, that would,
3: probably because it is <sighs> the only one that is maybe it's just clean, like, totally clean. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Um, but the stuff about Amsterdam is great. I mean, the, this is yeah, just great. Yeah. Tarantino dialogue. Right.
3: Yeah. And he writes it like no one else. They're sort of on the way to this thing and you don't know. You're just on a journey. And also that's Tarantino setting you up for what this movie is gonna be. I'm not telling you where we're going, I'm not telling you what we're doing. I'm not giving you are not allowed to have any expectations. Right. Right. You are just going to go and now you're gonna have this experience. And that I think is so smart. And then we go into what we go into with them. And so one, like, one
0: thing before we walk into yeah. that room is is the other thing is we plant this really important piece of exposition, yeah. which is that there's this guy Marcellus Wallace. He has a wife named Mia. Yeah. Uh, Vince Trudon Travolta is going to be taking, her out, taking her out one night, and that. Marcellus Wallace may or may not have thrown this guy Antoine out of a window because of a pho-missage. Tony Rocky Horror, man. Tony Rocky Horror. <laughs> so, I mean,
1: you can't be going another... I, listen, you don't be giving
3: another woman's, uh, you know... Another uh, man's t- woman t- a foot massage. T- t- e- yeah. What if she has,
0: like, a cramp? No. He's laying your hands in a familiar way on Marcellus' new wife. I mean, is it, is it as
2: bad as eating her pussy out? No. It's the same fucking ballpark. Whoa, 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 stop right there. You're eating a the bitch out and giving a bitch a foot massage you ain't eating the same fucking thing. It's not. It's the same ballpark. Ain't no fucking ballpark neither. Now look, maybe your method of massage differs from mine, but you know, touching this wife's feet and sticking your tongue in the holiest of holies ain't the same fucking ballpark. It ain't the same league. It ain't even the same fucking sport. Look, foot massages don't mean shit. Have you ever given a foot massage? <laughs> Don't be telling me about foot massages. I'm the foot fucking master. you giving a lot of them shit. Yeah got my technique down and everything I don't be tickling or nothing Would you give a guy a foot massage? Fuck you
1: that's dudes. That's two dudes. Sure. Absolutely having a conversation absolutely. about Okay, that kind but of let's, shit.
3: let's actually talk about it. Let's talk okay. about a foot massage. So would you be cool with another man giving your woman a foot massage? Uh, sure. Uh, no John problem. Roca says what? fuck no. What do you mean, yeah. Steve? Yeah. Sure. What? Really?
0: Well well, first of all, so I've watched well, in the room, many guys
3: creepy.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> wait, wait, many you know, theater what? people give give my wife a massage or
3: what? Fuck why?
0: No. Sure. She she likes a massage. Wow. What? Yeah. I'm not that jealous.
3: But Clearly. okay but here's the thing back massage or foot massage so, like a neck rub or like I'm taking your shoe off I can smell your cheese toes and I'm licking <laughs> your bunions
0: I, I know this is gonna sound strange. I think that's unlikely to happen. Um I, I actually trust my wife. So I, I'm not no, a a sure.
1: Wait a second, wait a
0: second. It's got nothing
1: to do with trust now. It's got yeah. nothing to do with trust. It's a matter of like but I, I understand how it's you it's very see it.
3: intimate. Yes, I mean yeah. I, it is. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So you're sharing like, so something. So when I'm when I was a kid, my parents would hold my feet. It was very comforting to me. Uh, yeah. And I like it still, and I make my husband do it, but he doesn't have to rub, he's just a hold.
4: Sure. But how he doesn't
3: do it right, he holds them too hard. <laughs> So when my parents are have you around to him about this? I have. I'm always like, that hurts. And then he's like, well, just get them off it. And he like shuts my feet off. So when my parents are around, I'm like, this is how you do it. And my mom will do it, or my dad will do it. And then I'll see him getting sort of jealous because why are you touching my wife's feet? No. Wait, have you
0: had your parents hold his feet? I should. That's how smart. is he gonna learn That's how to so properly right. hold your feet? You're That's so smart.
3: right. Oh Steve. <laughs> <laughs> see? This, this is why I'm is here educational. <laughs> um,
0: I, I do understand what you're saying. I do understand the intention and of why is this guy doing this thing? Yeah. But, you know, I've been married for almost 20 years. I trust Karen. I... That's I, fair. I'm not that stressed out about this. Yeah. Well, we also, you know,
3: I mean, Tony Rocky Horror, he might have, the name sounds intense, but right. he might have been a good looking dude before he hit the ground. He
0: was big dude. He was big man. He's a Samoan. I wouldn't say he was fat. Uh, the,
3: uh, the Rock? <laughs> Jace Mo- what if he was Jason Momo? What if he looked like yeah. Jason Momoa?
0: Or The Rock. I, yeah, look, look, The Rock. Look, clearly. Or Moa. Clearly, clearly as we will get into Moana. it, Mia is uh, a complicated. Trouble. Yeah, she's trouble.
1: Uh, I mean, watching it this time. I was like... She's a bad person. Wait a second. Yeah. I used to love her as a character. But then when I well, watched this, time, I'm like, great you are character. dangerous. You are dangerous
0: for so many fucking reasons. All right, yeah. we, So but before this, we jump too anyway, far ahead yeah. of ourselves, yeah. we have now established <laughs> what is going to be an important plot point. And while we're yes. talking about that, what we're not talking about is that we're about to walk into a room yeah. where apparently we're going to have to kill some people.
1: With another one of these yes. actors from the 80s that had kind of fallen off, Frank Whaley, Frank who Whaley. had had his opportunities in the 80s. Mm-hmm. He was in the doors, Opportunity Knocks, like all these things. Things, but he'd kind of fallen off. And here he is in this small little part, but so, so engaging, so interesting to watch, and so perfectly scared of everything that's happening and around And the big
3: him. Kahuna Burger, which, of course, like, yes. there's two things in this movie that were totally made up big Kahuna Burgers and right. red apple cigarettes, right. both of which I like. I, when I came to LA, I was like, where is Big <laughs> Kahuna Burger? I must have a Big Kahuna Burger. But the other thing that they do in this scene is something we're talking about how he tips the hat to filmmaking. Yeah. I would not know the word MacGuffin or what a MacGuffin Mm. is, if it were not for the briefcase. How funny. The briefcase with the golden light that pours out, which they recreated in Atlanta this last season when they went to the chicken Mm. shop, and he opens up the wet wings, the lemon pepper wet wings, and I was like, oh my god, it's the the Tarantino wet wings! But that, (laughs) but nobody, I don't think people know necessarily how much they're actually learning about film when they watch a Tarantino movie, but that is like a straight up like, hey kids, what to the lesson of the day is MacGuffin. <laughs> and
0: can you can you describe for our users what a MacGuffin a is? A
3: MacGuffin is the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. It's a narrative device that uh, propels whatever is going on, but is never seen and is never like actually described. So it's something that all of the characters are pursuing, but we never really find out what it necessarily is. And yeah. that is in this case the briefcase.
0: Yeah, yeah. It well,
3: comes what's in I, the
1: briefcase?
0: I think the origin is from Hitchcock. Yeah, is where the term first comes from. And to me, like a MacGuffin is a great lesson for writers because you're spending so much time trying to figure out your plot and you know what it's not actually that important Mm. your characters want to get a thing but what makes your film interesting is all the stuff that happens along the way. yeah. yeah. And who the characters are and how they behave and right. why they're doing what they're doing in terms of the thing they wanna get. It doesn't really matter. Yep. It doesn't matter if you're gonna to try to steal the Mona Lisa or steal Rob Fort Knox or it doesn't matter which one of those things it is, yep. it matters. Well, how are they gonna do that, though? How do they do it? Yeah, that's yeah. what's fun. Well, it's, and it's, it's such fun to watch that scene because the, the code is 666.
1: Mm-hmm. And then when he opens it, it's this gold light and you never find out what it is. And of course, it's always been legend afterwards that it was Marcellus' soul or some some, some some kind of treasure that they had found or something. But sure. that's that's the great narrative that pushes you through the films. Like, what is this
0: whole thing? What's the big deal? Because well, he killed like everyone in that room. Well, and to me, this is the, I'm watching a movie because... Yeah. It, there clearly is nothing that it can be. Right. You know what I mean? There why is, do they have it? Why do these but, but, well, fuck And the fuck answer is they it. have it because that's how we're going to have a movie. Right. Because this is Tarantino. It's like, look, we're, I want to have a movie where <laughs> these guys are after something. Yeah. Here's a, here it is. You can't ever get to the bottom. There is no answer right. to it. I yeah. Am, that's a good point. I, I don't know T- Tarantino, but if I'm sure that, and I'm sure he'll never answer the question. Right. But I'm also sure, like, there's no answer. Yeah.
3: I honestly don't want to know. Because nothing would be satisfied. Yeah, nothing would satisfy me or be satisfying. There is, it is just the golden light, and my brain can fill in what it needs to be.
1: And the fact that Vincent could look at it and not be overwhelmed by it unnecessarily lets me know it's something that that is human based, but not necessarily. You know, God-based, and so I like that. That's enough for me. That's enough for me. I don't need more than that. I
3: also like the way Tar- Travolta smokes the cigarette yeah, while yeah. he's opening it. Like there's just it just dangles from his mouth, yeah. and this like puff of smoke comes out, and it's illuminated by the light.
0: His mannerisms God, throughout this everything. movie are great. Yeah, all these little the way yeah. he walks, the shut you know the way he shrugs mm-hmm. his shoulders, that his hair coming down into his face. All those little things are just so odd. This is and Vinny Bob Reno Twenty years later, <laughs> this is my
1: belief. This is Vinny
0: Bob Reno I think Twenty he's years slightly later, slightly smarter than Vinny Reno uh,
1: maybe.
4: maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe it's just
1: experience uh, uh, yeah maybe
4: because
1: <laughs> there were there were patterns in his speech and his delivery that was very vinnie barberino certain moments and it's it's like in my mind i'm like this is him 20 years later he, he's no longer leading a sweat hogs some tough situations he's doing what he's doing i don't man. want to talk about to what the, happened right? to
0: orshack <laughs> or, or, or epstein's mother so one of yeah. the th- <clears throat> one of the things that's interesting there's always things in this movie that i forget and i have mm. a pretty good memory for plot yeah and it and I, when we're in that room with Frank Whaley, I, am watching this last time, I'm like, wait, I don't remember exactly how this goes down. Yeah. You know, because it's still surprising. Like, and the realization, like, oh, no, they really are just here to kill these people. Yep. And kind of, I go like, why do we even need to talk to them? You know, and yet they do, because Sam Jackson needs to talk. Because
3: Sam Jackson needs to give one of the best speeches <laughs> in film history. That's why it needs to happen.
0: Yeah.
2: You read the Bible, Greg. Yes! Well, there's this passage I got memorized. <coughs> sort of fits the case. <coughs> Ezekiel 25:17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who, in the name of charity and goodwill, shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness. For he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder.
0: And the power of what he does yeah. and the manipulation of the situation and the, the manipulation of these young guys emotions yeah. like, oh, maybe we're going to be OK. Oh, maybe we're not. Oh, but is this threatening? Are they being friendly? Are they bad? And then when he goes into the mm. the Bible verse, that is some powerful, powerful acting. Yeah.
3: There is in that scene alone, how many iconic quotes? At least two. Look at the big brain on Brett, and the speech that we now all know. But I'm sure, like it's just so many things that that's why that has to happen. Else, you can't just kill them. Then they're kind of jerks. But it's incredible character revelations as you're going through. Like you get to know exactly who these guys are and everything that we didn't know in the car. We now know watching them do their work.
1: And these guys are naturally underdogs from the beginning, so you kind of root for them a little bit because you're right. What you say, Steve? Like you hope they get. Oh, maybe they'll be all right. Maybe they'll be okay. Frank is so lost, he is so lost all of a sudden. And that guy he tells that guy, No, no, don't get up, and then he shoots him. Like, and later he shoots him, Oh, did I break your shocking way? In a very shocking way, and they break your and then he's after this guy and he's pushing Frank to his limits with what, like, what, what, and then shoots Frank for saying what. It's just a constant, you know, uh, slow burn to the the final death of that of everybody in that room, except
0: for Phil Lamar, of course. And there's a moment with the turn into camera. From uh, Sam Jackson. Yeah, that is so great.
3: An mm-hmm. extreme close up. An extreme close up.
0: It's just with the Jerry curl. Oh yeah, that mm-hmm. glorious Jerry curl. Beautiful. It is. Great. And this, by the way, also is the beginning of man. Sam Jackson is always going to have some hair. He's always <laughs> going to have an outfit. Like he, he always yeah. wants he. And and, and apparently the. The way the Jerry Curl happened was they sent the you know hair person to the to go get a big he wanted a big fro like a seventies fro oh yeah and the guy came back with the Jerry Curl apparently didn't know the difference and Quir- <laughs> Tarantino's mad and Sam Jackson says no that's that's what it that's is it.
3: that is so much better if it had been a fro that would have been lame that Jerry Curl yeah. is where it's at yeah,
0: Sam Jackson's glow. got some style mm-hmm. got that soul glow yeah. he does have the soul glow <laughs> <laughs>
3: so soul glow
0: all right where do we go next. Well, obviously, we're going to go to Vince Vega and Marcellus Wallace's yes. wife.
3: Yes. Oh boy.
0: Which we start oh. with a single on Bruce Willis for a really, really long time. Oh, Such mm-hmm. a While we great listen scene. to the Great Ving Rhames. Yes.
3: Can I say, during the Super Bowl, I was so sad because I'm like, what happened, bro? Ving Rhames was introducing the teams. Yes. What happened to his career? Explain it to me. What happened? I love happened?
1: Can I tell you why? Yes, African-American please. actors, it is a tough situation. You grab what you can get, you get what you do, you do your, look at Charles S. Dutton. Charles S. Dutton was fantastic. I love Charles Where S. the fuck did Charles S. Dutton go? It's just how it goes sometimes with African-American actors. They have a great amount of time and some can make that and keep going like Samuel L. Jackson and some can't. Ving is doing voiceover for Arby's. He's doing, he does ABT yeah. commercials. He's doing anything he can to stay afloat because maybe he doesn't want to keep playing these same heavy characters all the time heavy by I mean villain he plays maybe that's all he's getting offered maybe people don't want to put him in these other things or maybe he's happy just making enough maybe he's made enough and he's happy just occasionally working Mm -hmm. because there's no way he couldn't be on an HBO show or a TV show that is a little grittier could have been in Atlanta there's no way he can't be in these kinds of shows so it may be a combination of his choice Mm -hmm. and it may be a combination of these roles just drying up for him and casting directors not wanting to put him or filmmakers not wanting to put him in these
0: things I
3: love him and it just made me so (laughs) sad when that's what Uh, he's doing and I heard the right. RVs commercial and I was like, girl, mm-hmm. stop. I, I
0: love, he, he's a weird situation because yeah. he's, I love him too. Yeah. And he, in that era where he was just booming, he played a lot of roles where you're like, oh, you got some comedy yes. in you. You got some this, you got yes. some that. Yeah. But the thing about him, I think is that, and this is maybe part of the problem, not a criticism of him is he's yeah. got this voice and this mm-hmm. appearance that are iconic and associated with a certain kind of people. Yeah. And so even though he actually has a lot of range, when people are thinking of casting him, they go, oh, it's just that's a Ving Rames kind of guy. You right. know what I mean? Like right. they put him in a very very small box. Well,
1: look mm-hmm. at look at I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. He was great as that gay uh, firefighter with them in the film. That was a great change of pace for him.
3: I am thrilled to admit that I've never seen I now pronounce you Chuck. <laughs> and Larry. Never saw it either. I'm so proud of that. I will oh. say he does show up in the Mission Impossible movies, and yes. that's great. He's great. But there his parts are always they're so they're small. L- yeah. And yes. he, what's great is they do let him be comic relief mm-hmm, in those yeah. films. Mm-hmm. But they're few and far between, yep. he's so talented, he should be around more.
0: Okay, I mean, and, and one yeah. really small choice in this thing with Bruce Willis, yeah. which is just a great Ving Rhames monologue, and that's it, again, it's a bold choice. I'm gonna have a guy not talking, and just look at him for a really, really long time while yeah. we don't see the face of the guy who is talking, the Band-Aid on the back of the yes. neck. Yes. <laughs> that's a great director right there.
3: Yeah. Like
0: that's just a little, it's little details that make you a good director, and that's one of yeah. them, mm-hmm. it's a great moment and in walk uh, Jules and Vince yes. and what are they wearing yeah terrible clothes this is very strange Kmart specials
3: that UC Santa Cruz slug shirt yeah <laughs> <laughs> <That> shirt
0: <laughs> I mean that and, and this is again the confidence of the filmmaker to go like we were with Honey Bunny and Pumpkin in this scene and it got really interesting and then we left mm-hmm. and then we're in this scene where they're, we're gonna kill these guys yep. and it gets really interesting we leave and then and then we go to uh, Bruce Willis, which is a kind of a strange non sequitur, yeah. although a great monologue. And then in walk those killers in these weird outfits. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't get any info. We don't have any connection between right. what's happened to them or where we don't know where we are or when. Totally bizarre.
1: But they immediately become interesting and vulnerable and a tr- uh, like uh, something the audience can be invested in because you immediately undercut their power. Because mm-hmm. as soon as a bartender opens the door, starts laughing at them as they walk in. Then you undercut the oh. viciousness of what you had just seen them do in the scene before. Yes. But what, and what is a great moment is when Willis comes to the bar and has that exchange with Travolta. Yeah. And to me, those are the small dialogue exchanges in Tarantino films that make me love Tarantino films. When he's says, like, I ain't your friend, Palooka. Like, just the idea of using the word Palooka. I was like, for me, as a fan of boxing films from the 40s and 50s, when he said Palooka, I'm like, huh? This is brilliant, and these are these small little exchanges that make you understand the, the the affection that he really has for these kinds of films and the research he does as a film lover. You know? I
3: love that that's what you went to because yeah. for me in that scene it's the bartender going, "My name's Paul, and this is between y'all," <laughs> yeah. and that's the moment that I remember and that yeah. I always quote. There's a little something for everyone. Yeah. Well,
0: and the thing too, like things like Palooka, things yeah. like the Don't Be a punch Square. Yeah. What we it, talk yeah. talk about before? These are not the way that any humans talk. No, to. not anymore. These are the way that movies talk. No, I don't mean not anymore. Well, I, mean, I don't think the 50s, they talk I'm that sure, way. So they said Palooka. In the 50s. Maybe they did. Yeah. But this are is, you going uh, to
3: prison? Or are you going to Houska? I mean, yeah, there's the Houskow, just certain things right. that you don't ever say. That's and right. These are
0: this is this is this is why this is a movie about movies. This yeah. is movie language. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's awesome.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, we get a little bit more information about the date with Mia, and then and then Vince he needs to go get some drugs. Yes. So let's go off and see our friend Eric Stoltz.
3: <laughs> oh, here we go, Lance. Man, the set direction on that apartment or the house that they live in—that yeah. ramshackle, nasty drug den—is yes. so great.
0: Built, by the way, in an old Craftsman bungalow. Yes, that like there are a lot of those in L.A. Yeah, like yeah. The, and a lot of them really dilapidated and and messed up. You go because I live in a Craftsman house. It's like oh, that's like a hundred year old house. Yeah. that's beautiful and it's just falling to pieces. Drug den.
3: Drug Den. Yeah. Drug yeah. Den and the amazing bathrobe, like yeah. everything about Eric Stoltz's introduction. You don't need to have the sound on. All you need to do is look at what you are given visually and yeah. you know everything.
0: Yeah. And Eric Stoltz is a guy who's given some unbelievable performances mm. and some very dramatic things and very complicated things. This is one of my favorite of his performances. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much that guy. Yeah.
2: yeah. I'm giving you some out of my own private stash. That is what a nice guy I am. And I'm out of balloons. Is a baggie all right? Yeah, that's cool. Right. Just get one for you, honey. Will you get me some baggies and uh, twistics from the kitchen? Hey. Hey, uh, what do you think about Trudy? She ain't got a boyfriend. You want to uh, hang out, get yeah, high? Which one's Trudy? One with all the shit in her face? No, that's Jody. That's my wife. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's pretty mellow. He's pretty friendly. He deals some drugs. And again, have we seen this kind of drug dealer in 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 yeah. film? Because normally a drug dealer in film is that scary know, guy. You're right. And this is not that guy.
3: I feel like this is one of the things that Tarantino is so great at. Like you give the druggy, you get like the sweet druggie, like Brad mm. Pitt in True Romance. Yeah or eric stoltz in this like right. it's the guy who just he's just living his life man yeah. and he just happens to be selling some black tar hair right. you know <laughs> which is cool
0: yeah yeah um something i had to bring up i was thinking about where to bring it up but uh it really hit me in this scene in particular which is tarantino's use of racial epithets and racism yeah and we talked about it in reservoir dogs um it bugs me. I've gotten to the point mm. now where it does, and, and in this scene in particular, because I don't, because I really like this character of Lance. Yeah. Mm. I don't believe he talked that way. Like that does it's, and there's a lot of times where it seems it is Tarantino trying to shock you. And I mm. feel the filmmaker in a way that takes me now out of the movie. That's for me personally. I don't know how you okay. feel.
3: I will go to the person who actually is uh, ethnically diverse. This
0: <laughs> one. So the two Jews should not uh, <laughs> get into this so much.
1: Just sit there and count your money. Uh, no, ground I, I, ground I, ground I, ground I would, I would I say,
0: wish. here's my <laughs>
1: here's my feeling about it. A, uh, I agree with you, Steve, actually watching this time, it really bothered me how much there was in it. I had forgotten how many, and it feels unnecessary in certain moments, but then again, I don't hang around drug dealers. I don't hang around criminals. I don't hang around these kinds of people, and it may be secondhand nature to them to say these kind of racial epithets like it's no big deal it may be so for me I, although I may have an issue with it I don't come from that kind of background and I don't have come from that kind of experience and so and this is the thing that when we talk about Sam Jackson Sam Jackson is basically Tarantino's get out of jail free card for this kind of stuff because Sam even came back at Spike mm-hmm. when Spike came out about it in the late 90s yeah because um, he was upset of how much right. uh, Tarantino used the N-word in all his films um And Sam was like, Spike needs to calm down. People do talk like this, and whether he wants to admit it or not, they do. And so I get Spike's point because you are essentially saying it's okay to, because you're putting these characters that are interesting and attractive to watch saying this dialogue. Therefore, you're letting other people say it's okay. But then again, rap artists use the N word all the time now in their, or all the time since the 90s in their stuff. And white kids think they can say it now too. So it's like, where is the line? Where is the line? Because they're telling their truth, and Tarantino may be writing. Stuff that he knows people speak like From those kinds of I don't know what his upbringing is like Maybe he was around these kind of people And so he speaks He writes for what they speak Does it bother me? Absolutely Absolutely But I also kind of understand it Because these are not people that I know
3: Sure Um, So I don't know I mean (sighs) As somebody who did deal a fair amount of drugs in high school. Oh, my God. You're admitting <laughs> this on a podcast. Right. Yeah, I don't care. It was, statue of it was a statute of limitations. It was weed. Who gives a shit? There we go. And whose best friend also deals a lot of drugs, uh, also weed. And I feel like such an asshole. Some of my best friends are black. <laughs> Who's a six foot five black guy yeah. who uses the N word constantly around me. Yeah. And I have to say to him, you can't do that. Like, mm. well, you can do it in your house. He's like, I'm black. I'm like, right. But you make other people uncomfortable right. when we're in public. We were out to dinner once and he kept talking about Jews, 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 Jews. And this woman came over and sat down at her table or like sort of squatted down by her table. And she was like, excuse me, I just want you to know I'm Jewish and I'm extremely offended by the way you're using that word. He'd been saying it and we we're both loud and he's yeah. exp- especially loud. And he was like, lady, I'm talking about my brother who converted to Hasidic Judaism with my best friend. And he points at me. Who's a fucking Jew? So you can kiss my balls. You're not part of this conversation. <laughs> he said that. So oh, yeah. we were in Santa Monica. Santa Monica is the worst. I would like to meet this guy. Oh, he's the best. I love him. <laughs> so, um, I understand how the word makes people extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. Eric Stoltz using it feels weird and fake yes. and like mm-hmm. I think the problem is the delivery. I that's what, agree. With that. That's what I'm saying. I, I think agree that with it's that. like it shouldn't come out of certain people's mouths the writing of it has bothered me more in other properties. Like Mm. I was really bothered by it, I'll stick to Tarantino, in Django. Like in Django. It's all over Django. And also because of what the subject matter was, it felt like it was so much more hatefully used. Mm -hmm. In this, I can say that it doesn't bother me as much. However, it's not my experience and therefore, Mm. I am desensitized to the word because I don't have an intrinsic experience related to it. So, But I think that it also, it depends on who you are and who your background, what your background is and how you perceive certain things. Like there's words I don't mind at all. Like I love the word cunt. I love the word twat. Yeah. But I'm, Fair. you know, in the minority and I feel like as a woman, that's something I have to reclaim. If I were a black person, I don't know how I would feel about those scenes. And especially mm. little ginger Eric Stoltz, who I just now defamed by calling him a ginger, <laughs> would would feel, you know?
0: Well, And this is, the, the, I think the thing to me, I am a firm believer in free speech. I like if you're an artist and that's what you want to do. Then I'm. I believe that I don't like there being forbidden words. Mm. But as a a watcher of this film, it's How do you feel re- about moist. It's fine. Okay. It's a nice moist sponge cake. I don't some know.
3: people dislike that. Yeah, word. I know
0: some people really don't like it. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> you, I've somehow derailed from my train of thought. Sponge um, cake. Is that I, is that I, there?
1: That word. Yeah.
4: <laughs> Tick, you got it. Is
0: is if. Uh, it's different when Sam Jackson uses the word mm-hmm. than it is when Quentin Tarantino and when um, Eric Stoltz use it. Mm-hmm. Is that and it's my objection to it isn't just the the racism of the word itself. Mm. I don't believe that there should be things that should never be said. That just doesn't. Mm uh like one of the plays i did when i was in college was all about racism and that word was used Mm -hmm. um is that it doesn't feel in character for eric stoltz and it brings attention to itself in a way is that it feels like i think what i said before is it feels like the filmmaker saying look what i can do you know and Mm -hmm. that's where it's and it takes me out of the film okay it's not just the racism takes me out of the film it's that it seems uh Unnecessary to a scene that was already great. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's just sort of it. Just kind of st- sticks out to me oh, sometimes. Sure. I think you. I think I feel more about what you were saying, It's delivery.
1: I had that problem too when Tarantino's doing it later on in the film yeah. he says does my house have a sign that says what it, he says it says and I'm like why, why are you saying it like that like I just don't understand well, because
0: you there's is- well, it
3: Tarantino's a terrible actor right. whenever yeah. he's there all of his dialogue you're like let other people say it <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah. every time I know every time so Travolta gets his drugs and he asks Eric Stoltz
1: the mannerisms of him being high the man- oh, there's something great. that i did not understand until i experience Did being heroin? high myself because I didn't get high until I was 37 years old. What? So I didn't know what this was like. So I would see this movie multiple times and like, oh, interesting, he's doing these mannerisms. It wasn't until I actually got high and then watched this movie and, and I understood. Like, I know what that's like to kind of shuffle and move your head around and kind of and smell the liquor before you, like, all of that is so recognizable to me now. But at the time when I watched it, it, really, it was like, oh, this it, is it's a caricature. Great, it's a great high. Yeah. I mean, it
0: really, and the attention paid to, the attention to detail of how he shoots up, yes, it is like erotic. Yeah. the way that it's presented on film. Yeah, God. I mean, yeah. the zipper, the you know, the cooking it, the all yeah. of the stuff is really lovingly done, mm-hmm. in a way that's. Not, I don't know if it's done in film. I can't think of another movie that does it that way because film is very puritanical. Hollywood is very puritanical. <sighs> I would in say some maybe way. Requiem.
1: Requiem is close. Requiem for a Dream yeah. is kind of close. And if you ever saw The Boost. The A James Woods, Sean to... Young movie from the eighties—that's very horrific. Uh, they the way they portray there, and Rush, I guess Rush too, the Jennifer, Jennifer Jason Lee and Jason Patrick movie. Oh, I've never they seen. They have that. that kind of homage mm-hmm. to the drugs or whatever. Yeah.
0: So, so we've got John Travolta. He's high. He's yeah. heading to Mia. His entrance into that house oh, over the so intercom so is just hilarious. Yeah.
3: Yeah, lost Travolta wandering around <laughs> looking at stuff so messed up, and then the introduction of Uma Thurman, yeah. where. You said it. She is trouble. Yeah. She, and yeah. the minute you see her...
0: Which you see her feet first. Tarantino. <laughs> Not uncoincidentally.
3: Tarantino, those little piggies. That's right. Oh, yeah. But I feel like yeah. because we've talked about like what cinema means and we know what the femme fatale is supposed to be, yeah. and I love that she physically... Is not necessarily like if you just heard about this character, mm-hmm. wouldn't you expect more of like a like a fatal blonde situation? Something a little bit more buxom, something maybe a little That's bit fair. more scantily clad. Yeah, agree with that. Like, I, I love it. My
0: image, it's so Uma Thurman in my head that all yeah, I can yeah, think yeah. of is Uma Thurman. So. Sure.
3: But I just, I, that was always something that mm-hmm. I really appreciated where uh, you talk about sort of the Ving Rames' mobster yeah. wife and you mm-hmm. expect something that is more. I don't know, like.
0: More Marilyn Monroe.
3: Exactly, Right. exactly. But
1: also more powerful in a different way. You know what I'm saying? Like her sexuality is her power, but Uma's, her sexuality is here, but it's not the powerful thing about her. And even the beginning, the way we're introduced to Mia, Mia is watching yeah. through the screens. It's a power move. Yeah. She wants to make him wait. She wants to watch him on the cameras. That is fucking trouble. That is a woman. <laughs> no, she, she wants to be. She, and remember, the introduction is: she was a former actress. She's an actress. She was. She had a, a possibly she had a pilot, right? They do that whole conversation. She you're, had the
3: pilot that is the theme or is the plot of Kill Bill.
1: Right, right, right. right. Force right. Five, which I think is great when he's. You are aware that there are shows on television. There's the right. television that has shows on it, which I thought was a great comeback. <laughs> but like that kind of thing is 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 let you the let you into the uh um idea of what the person you're dealing with this is a failed actress who is probably with this guy because she wants some kind of money and wants some kind of status and so she has so she's gonna watch him and it's a power move and i think her arc through this part of the story is fantastic mm-hmm. from this woman who wants to be in power to the woman who ends up at the end being like just she's stripped of all her power and she's this vulnerable little girl saying to him like I'd be just as in much trouble as you, and they have a sweet, tender moment. And we'll get to it, but I think it's to watch her arc is great. She has.
0: All the power. Yes, she does. She is right controlling everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, through through a computer screen and knobs and cameras at the beginning, yeah, yeah. but then just intellectually, yes. she's manipulating him. She controls where they go. She get everything about the evening she's controlling. Yeah, but Vince doesn't. Vince doesn't. Vince doesn't become a puppy dog. Vince is. He has his opinions
1: about shit, mm-hmm. but he does. And he. So it's a good sure. back and forth. It's definitely a flirtation, and it makes you watching it this time. I was like, maybe there was some going on with Tony Rocky Horror. Maybe there's
0: something. I've one of the on big here. questions I have is we don't actually ever get to know. Yeah, right. Yeah. Is that she finally, you know, we have we get to we get to Jackrabbit Slims, yeah. which is a fantastic set. Um and I always forget, by the way, that that Steve Buscemi is oh, Buddy he's Holly. The waiter. Yeah. But I totally, totally
1: I love that. forget that. And yeah. there are two of them. There are two of these Jack. or there, there is a Jackrabbit Slim somewhere in the northern somewhere. Really? I, I looked really? it up. Yeah. Oh, That's wow, cool. I didn't know
3: that. The thing that always gets me in that scene is now watching it. A $5 shake. Like a yeah. <laughs> $5 shake. $5? Honey, I can't get a juice for under <laughs> right. $10. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Are we killed for a $5 shake?
0: I so remember wanting to have that shake, though. <laughs> oh, is <said> that it? Because <laughs> the damn moment damn where he got his damn good shake. His yeah, yeah. damn good
3: shake. I know. But that's uh, him pushing back. Again,
1: that's him pushing
3: back And also, this idea. the names of the shakes. Yeah. You want that Amos and Andy? Or you want that? Oh, wait. That's oh, oh uh, what's the other one? Do you want that Amos and Dan, Andy? Or and or Martin Lewis. You- Martin and Lewis. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh yeah. yeah, Martin and Lewis. That's
1: a great point. Why Amos and Andy? That's Those are people in blackface. Yeah. That's an interesting thing to use, man. And I get it because it's Jack Rabbit Slims. That time, Amos and Andy was big during that time in the 40s and
0: 50s. But still, it's kind of walking that line of racism. Again, it goes to that thing. I'm not saying that Quentin Tarantino's a racist. No. Nope. But I'm, I am saying that he likes the shock value of racism. Sure. He that is that is a and, and maybe you know He likes the shock Value of violence so mm-hmm. And he likes the Shock language uh, shock, Shockness of profanity mm-hmm. So may, maybe it's just Another tool to him But not Well sex. but
3: what else Would you call it Would you call it Like the Icantina? Because then you're Still getting no. into Some difficulties What would you call it You'd be in the 50s. Chocolate
0: and vanilla You could say
1: who, who, The Nicholas <laughs> Brothers You could call them Nicholas Brothers Who were dance, mm. famous Dancers in the 50s uh, No six, because no. you're Still using
0: race To no. describe the no. Flavors you're Ch- of your still, You're still the, saying Chocolate I, but they're Not blackface They're well, actually how about black
3: what, wait, Why isn't it the 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 Sammy and the and you could the, say Sammy, Sammy and the Dean or something. Well, that doesn't because Dean's Martin not and black. Martin
0: Lewis, Martin or, and Lewis is the or white. the
3: Martin and Davis. Well, Davis Junior. Because it doesn't roll off the tongue. See, yes, uh, okay, it so it.
0: we're going to put out a supplemental material of just <laughs> our entire Jackrabbit Slims menu <laughs> <laughs> that is more racially sensitive. You could say
3: that. Could <laughs> yeah, we you need it. Well, you're not yeah. going to call it like the Cosby and. No. By the way, did you guys have you ever seen the movie Mother? Wait, yeah, Mother, Jugs, and Speed? Speed. Yeah, of course. Attention, ladies
2: and gentlemen. We have an urgent code three from 20th Century Fox. Be on the lookout for Bill Cosby, Raquel Welch, and Harvey Keitel in Mother, Jugs,
0: and Speed.
3: Speaking of Harvey Keitel yeah. and Bill Cosby and Raquel Welch. Raquel Welch. Come on. That's yeah, a weird Crazy. Film. Anyway, sorry. Oh, yeah. That's a very weird I don't segue. think that's
0: appearing anytime soon on the cineplex. <laughs> <No, no.
3: laughs> what if that had been my choice? You guys, were are doing Mother Jugs and
0: Look, I haven't watched it in a long time. <laughs> There's <laughs>
3: another one. This is also, since we're off on a tangent already. Okay. There is a movie with Kate Beckinsale and mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey where yes, she... Yes, Tiptoes. There, oh my God. That has God. been legend in our group. We yeah. in our yeah. group. most offensive yes. the I've trailer did
1: you actually watch yeah, it yeah yeah mike ross oh, of course you watch it with ross we yeah. we will put it on we will watch it and laugh our balls off and he's like he indoctrinates you into the group
3: oh by watching
1: this film so
3: steve you just watched the trailer no, the i've seen the trailer so yeah. the, where they like introduce gary oldman, gary oldman going yeah. in the role of a lifetime <laughs> gary <laughs> yeah. oldman playing a midget. a midget it is so offensive yeah
1: and you All can right. tell when he's like behind a bar <laughs> and when they use a body <laughs> double midget to move and when they're putting oh. and when he's standing there with shoes under his knees oh it's
3: so ridiculous. so ridiculous it's so
0: <laughs> <Okay>. ridiculous oh <laughs> <laughs> and Patricia arquette is in it too Yeah, she's his girlfriend
3: it's uh, anyway yeah, all right. so we're having it's on.
0: really big it's a nice date we talk about Amsterdam. it is a fucking date first of, a of all date. yes no there's no question she that she is this flirting is, and he is flirting yeah and he he's maybe at first reluctantly flirting a yes. little bit. But in the end, this is a date. Yeah. And we get brought up the joke that we don't get to we don't say at this point, which yeah. is a good plant, and we move right into the dance contest. Yes. Oh
3: god, the dance
0: contest. The iconic. Sure. Yeah.
2: It was a teenage wedding, and the old folks wished them well. You could see
1: that Pierre did truly love the matter Man. That's them making up. In my opinion, that's them making it.
3: Totally. Yeah. 100%. The dance. Well, and that's also, that scene, that part of the scene, is incredibly long. Yes. It's really long. There's no dialogue. It's just the song. I mean, who else could you get to do that but John Travolta, Mm. too?
0: And I remember in the theater going... John Travolta's dancing. Yeah. And just having this sort of joy. Yeah. And again, this is a meta moment. You know, it's because you're not just watching this character of Vince. You are watching John Travolta, who you have complicated feelings for from Mm -hmm. the past, Mm -hmm. do this Mm -hmm. moment. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And now I've got the song completely stuck in my head. It was a teenage wedding Mm -hmm. and the old folks. Yeah, on and on.
1: And Uma's great too during doing her dance, giving it to her butt sticking out, her hands moving all the
3: feet up and it's great. And you talk about flirtation and, you know, nonverbal communication. it is also a power play yes it is very much a power play she's like you're doing this you're gonna win this for me Mm -hmm. and we're also going to have this moment where our relationship is sort of taken to the next level yeah physically yeah without touching
0: and what's funny too and i remember thinking about it this time is that we started in this movie about these two people robbing a restaurant. We've completely forgotten about them. Yes. Totally. We've, we, we then went into this scene where these guys execute these people with big kahuna burgers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really not thinking about that at all. I'm Now I'm just in this scene in this dance contest. Yeah. And this couple, and it's sort of will they or won't they? We go home. They've obviously had a great night. Obviously a little <laughs> intoxicated. and And now I'm going, oh, shit. What if he gives her a foot massage? He, he yeah. wants to give her more than a foot massage. The and talk that's the he t-
3: gives himself oh, in the mirror.
0: One drink, and that's it. Don't be
2: rude, drink your drink, but do it quickly.
3: That is one of you're gonna go home, you're gonna jerk off, that's it.
2: So, you're gonna go out there, you're gonna say goodnight, I've had a very lovely evening. Walk out the door, get in the car, Go home, jerk off, and that's all you're gonna
1: do. I'm not gonna lie to you. I've given myself that talk a few times in, the mar- <laughs> in certain situations, Rather than people focus on. Well, or other things. Yeah, you have that conversation <laughs> with you. Go, don't you? Don't do this. Don't do
0: this. Just go, just go home. <laughs> you have it. It's it happens.
3: And in the meantime, <laughs> so Mia real. outside. Yes. Putting well, before, on. Before we yeah. get to that, I just yeah. want to
0: ask one question, yeah. which is if what is about to happen that you're getting to doesn't happen. Does John Travolta get out the door or not? That's a great okay, question.
3: Okay, so he—that that is a great question. So she's got the urge overkill playing.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
3: He comes out of the bathroom like, all right, I'm going to take off. And she says to him, she, why don't I you don't, stay for a nightcap or something? Absolutely, Of course she
1: does. And she's yeah. wearing his jacket.
3: He has to get the jacket back. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, mm-hmm. man, See, does he get out the door? Well... If he didn't get out the door, he would have known enough to run, and then maybe he wouldn't have gone over to Bruce Willis's apartment because he wouldn't have been sent there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I kind of right. think that in this movie, Vince Vega is dead either way. <laughs> is that is that if he if she ODs, he gets killed by Bruce Willis. <laughs> right. If she doesn't OD, I think he sleeps with her. I no, don't think he's getting think out he the door. I do. Wow. If she's if she's into sleeping with him. Like, like, I don't think he gets out the door. It's a dangerous situation because, A, if he denies her, then
1: he, she can hold that over him. That's true, too. And mess him up with Marcellus, depending mm-hmm. on the kind of woman she is. Uh, and if he does... It, she could also have him messed up By the guilt she feels of doing it This is why this woman is dangerous Does she well, feel guilt?
3: She obviously is not planning on going to sleep anytime soon Because yes. she's doing bumps of what yes. she thinks mm-hmm. is cocaine Great points
1: yeah. Great points.
3: So she's preparing for a longer night yeah. Oh man point, Steve Sasha. you just blew shit. my mind well, But shit. this is crazy Like I ne- it never yeah. occurred to me like what if she doesn't right. wow. and,
0: and I mean like we start With her <clears throat> in those movie screens Watching him with the camera She's obviously a bad person yeah. And she's obviously you know she's creating the agenda for the whole evening yeah. from the beginning mm-hmm. so what she wants out of Vince Vega is a very
3: well now I've got this whole other thing in my head when we're, we're thinking about like classic femme fatales maybe yeah. all she wants is to get away from a horrible Marcellus Wallace right. and she needs like blackmail evidence and she could record their tryst and then she could say to him you have to take me away from this mm. life I don't want anymore we'll buy five dollar shakes and we'll dance into the sunset <laughs> but
1: none of that happens but he's still a criminal himself so it's not like she He's running off with someone who's
0: well, good, and, and, exactly. And, but
3: they'll and, have a nice that, life because he can pay for things. That's so, a,
0: true. That's a good. That's a good theory. Except for the fact that doesn't seem like her character. She mm. doesn't seem like a person
3: who needs saving.
0: Who needs yeah. saving? True. She is so powerful. Yeah, and so manipulating the situation. Mm-hmm. She seems like she's just having fun. I think she's just playing with him. And by the way, I feel bad for uh, what's his name, Carrie. What's Rocky? To- Tony Rocky. Tony and, or, Rocky Horror. I can never say that. Tony Rocky Horror. I feel bad for him because if she put whatever on him that she's now putting on Vince and he ends up out the window.
3: I think that if that movie were made today and we had Tony Rocky Horror in it, it would be Jason Momoa. (laughs) Fair enough. He might not be Samoan. I think he's Hawaiian.
0: Yeah, He's Hawaiian.
3: He's not Samoan. So he's The Rock.
0: Okay. So leaving aside our alternate reality. Yeah. Sorry. um, Yes. She reaches in that pocket and she pulls. Now, I don't know anything about What happens if you snort heroin? Okay. But this scared the shit out of me when I saw it in the movie. And that's Mm -hmm.
3: why you never did it. See, it's like a a PSA. It's like a do not do drugs, (laughs) kids. It
0: is a really disturbing Mm -hmm. moment.
3: Well, and also that's a great acting moment, like the instant rollback of the eyes and yeah. the head and her sort of collapsing, and then yeah. him coming out and finding her. And we never yeah. really know how much time she's been out. Oh, because
0: you go to black frame, yeah, yeah. back out.
3: Uh, so we don't know how long she's been out. We don't know how long she's been laying there in a pool of her own vomit.
0: And hearing Tarantino's voice and not seeing him while well, you're just looking at that really brutal shot of her, Yeah, it is really, really upsetting. Yeah. Uh, Tarantino's voice?
1: I'm oh, sorry Travolta's sorry. I've been Travolta's doing that voice. too it's the tease damn tease Travolta going nuts about her being yeah oh shit
3: oh shit oh shit and yeah. Then he just, yeah but he, he immediately immediately been... knows
1: what to do well yeah <laughs> run off to get Lance <laughs> yeah <laughs> what's great about it too is that even in that condition that he's in he's like woken up he's like okay you know I bet he hasn't done anything since they went out and so when he gets back and when he gets back in there with her, he's not gonna do anything else. Yeah. He's gonna try to stay as sober as possible. And seeing her like that wakes him the fuck up even more, you know.
3: But also the fact that he doesn't pull up like he's on the phone with Lance. Yeah. Don't bring her here. Don't bring her. here. And then it's not just I'm bringing her here. I'm bringing her onto your front lawn. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. So a good! Great
0: shot of that car pulling up.
1: It's smashing into the brick wall. Yep.
0: Nuts. This is not subtle. Yeah. <laughs> Dragging her in, and this is one of the great scenes of all time. Yes. I all mean, time. this scene is so intense, and it's intense and funny and weird and feels real. Real. Yeah. No,
2: no, no, no man, man, I ain't. Give, you, you, you're gonna give her the shot. No, you're gonna give her the no, no shot. I ain't giving her. The shot. I ain't giving her the shot. I never done this. Yeah, before. I ain't never done it before either. All right. I ain't starting now. Look, you brought her here, and that means that you're gonna give her the shot. The day that I bring an O.D. bitch to your house, then I give her the shot. Give her the shot. Give it.
3: They don't. It, have you ever noticed that, like the red dot on her chest, goes from being a dot to being kind of heart shaped? It's like one of I the few. Not it's one of the no. few continuity errors that I spotted. Oh, it wow. like gets a little dot shaped, then it gets a little heart shaped. But man, and then it goes back to being a dot. But that scene, and I mean Rosanna Arquette in that mm. too, that. Her being like that was wild. And also one of the things I love is when they rip her blouse open because there has been so much sort of like sexual buildup, but we haven't really seen that much of her body. And then she's wearing that like black bustier underneath. And she is so vulnerable. And then that plunger that, and the drip off of the tip of the plunger and everybody's eyes and Rosanna are kept looking around and like the fear and then right come
0: on so two stories about this story one is that on their first screening in the us which is the new york film festival someone uh had to stop the movie someone started screaming then because someone they thought someone was having a heart attack but in fact they were going into a diabetic shock an <gasps> insulin shock so they had to stop the film in the scene What? and i swear to god this is true and you could ask karen okay. when i saw it in westwood they had to stop the movie in this scene because someone had a heart attack.
4: No! <laughs>
0: totally, totally true. The paramedics showed up. That's
3: awesome! They
0: had to take... It wasn't awesome for him. Well, well, sure. But yes, no, this is true. They literally, in the middle of that scene, someone had a heart attack when oh I saw this movie. Oh my God,
3: that is the power of filmmaking. Yep. And it
0: is a really, really tense scene. When yep. Karen and I watched it last night, mm-hmm. she is a real needle thing. Uh, and she pretty much was covering her face the whole scene. Yeah. Wow. Because it is, it is Everything brutal. builds, right?
1: He slams the car into the thing. We He yells at Eric Stoltz on the lawn and says, you know, you know what this is. We'll both be dead. You yeah. know what this is? I'll be forced to tell him. I'm going to be forced to tell him that you didn't help. So yeah. he basically recruits him. They they bring her into the and then Roseanne Arquette's being woken up from sleep. She's already irritated <laughs> that the phone rang and she's so believable, yeah. yelling at him, "What the fuck is this?" And then he's like, "Go get." And then she's like, "Fuck you, fuck you." And then they go and get it. And he's got to find his black book. So the the, the stakes are are costly mm-hmm. and they're acting
0: like normal people when you're in a stress. Like yes, you're yes. screaming, freaking yelling. Out yeah, you're freaking yeah. out. And then he's got to do the
1: dot. And Stoltz won't do it, and then Tarantino, like you said, does a great job of these small close-ups. Yeah. yeah. And then boom, and her reaction amazing. is amazing.
3: And that and the, the needle is still sticking oh. out yes. of her chest. So great. But apparently, according to doctors, that would not actually work. Ah. Yeah. Really. So don't do it at home. Yeah, don't, don't try home, kids.
0: All right, I guess I'll throw out that adrenaline syringe I have sitting in well, the Well, I freezer. think it still
3: works, but you have to go into your bloodstream, not in your heart. If you did it to oh. your heart, you would just puncture your heart and you would start bleeding out.
0: <sighs> wow. So this is a bad plan. So you're saying that <laughs> Quentin Tarantino is not really realistic. What I'm saying <laughs> is that
3: maybe it's just a narrative device, but one of the coolest ones of all time. <laughs> it's great. And then, like you said, when you said Roca, is like they bring her back to the house yeah. and the way she walks inside, that broken down sort of robotic walk and she turns back and she's still so covered in blood but they're they're homies now Mm -hmm. they are true true friends
1: i think that's the first time you glimpse that they could fall in love as opposed to a night of hooking up Mm -hmm. because when he does that kiss that's from a place of love as much as that guy conceived of the concept of love that is a moment of love for him because he respects what they've been through and that she isn't going to hold it against him. And she even, like, she retains who she is and he sees her stripped of all his or all her, all her, like, power play bullshit. And when she tells him the joke, which is an intimate
4: thing, <laughs> just yeah. like
1: I don't tell you my real name on this podcast, it's an intimate thing. She didn't want to tell it to him because some women do have these things that they will not tell you until they feel this trust for you. And I discovered this, obviously, through my life. There's And when they do tell you, it's because they do finally feel that trust for you. You, with you and it's it's little things and that little joke for her for whatever reason is connected to uh, a possible success that didn't come through or an embarrassment because she had to say those lines of dialogue either way she gives him that gift at the end for him saving her life and his reaction when she turns around blowing her
0: the kiss just beautiful man mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and then Let's leave this plot.
3: <laughs> yes. But that's this a, is what's so brilliant. You never miss it though. You nope. feel like, oh, it's it's like it's like every time yep. you open a gift on, you know, Christmas or Hanukkah morning, although it's Hanukkah night, but whatever. Whenever you're opening gifts, it's like everyone just gets better and better and better. It's yeah. this Russian nesting doll, but instead the dolls <laughs> are getting larger instead of smaller. Oh, that oh, is the great. craziest,
0: most interesting image I've ever heard. Well, and part of it too is that is that when you leave, when you're gonna derail the audience from something they're interested in. In, the next thing you show them has to be really awesome. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the in the first one, we left Honey Bunny and Pumpkin uh, going, and we went right into the Royale with Cheese mm-hmm. in Amsterdam, and there's this great dialogue. And she's are like, okay, I'm good. And now we're going to leave this one, and we go into a monologue. Yeah, that is among the most amazing monologues ever on film. Absolutely, Christopher Walken. Oh man, Gold Watch.
3: Come on,
2: this watch—it's on your daddy's wrist when he was shot down. All that. Hanoi he was captured put in a Vietnamese prison camp he knew that if the gooks ever saw the watch it'd be confiscated taken away the way your dad looked at it this watch was your birthright you'd be damned if any slope's gonna put the greasy yellow hands on his boy's birthright so he hid it in one place he knew he could hide something his ass five long years he wore this watch up his ass then he died of dysentery. He gave me the watch. I hid this uncomfortable hunk of metal up my ass two years. Then, after seven years, I was sent home to my family. And now, little man, I give the watch to you.
3: I'm realizing as we're talking about this just how much of an impact Tarantino has had not just on me like mm. creatively but psychologically. When I got married, uh, the song that we walked down the aisle to was you So" the the score of "You're So Cool" from True Romance. you so great. And one of the reasons I knew I was in love with my husband is because he can quote. Damn near this entire monologue, wow, and right. he does it for me sometimes when I'm in a bad mood, and it just makes me so Is he so holding happy. your feet while he does this? Nope, he's, just, <laughs> he's just, this watch. Like sometimes he'll literally just say just this watch, just to make me smile. Yeah, awesome love it.
0: To me, of a guy, of a guy who's had many iconic and sometimes bizarre performances, this is the Christopher Walken moment of all time. Of oh, all time. that's Agreed. a great point. Agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, this, yeah. is it. this is it. Yeah. Be bad. <laughs> and what's weird too? What's weird about this monologue? And it's a long monologue. It is a three-minute monologue. It's a long monologue. It is completely disturbing. Yes. And really intense and serious and fucking hilarious. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. All at the same time. Yeah. Because yes. he's delivering it to a eight-year-old kid. Oh my god. About.
1: This, when he's watching what Nanuka the North or whatever he's watching uh, there on the whatever that is that he's watching on television weird I'm sure it's some weird cartoon I should know it was popular back then but like him talking about the watch and like why does he have to deliver this at this point at this time in this kid's
0: life it's so interesting Well, and I want to say to this whole family hey guys maybe that watch wasn't that important
3: <laughs> you know what <laughs> well but also like the POV shot right. that he's right there in oh, it with you like right you, there yeah. and the color of the room like there's Mm -hmm. this deep green everywhere around you his suit his uh uniform is so like the saturation is so heavy you're getting into like this deep surreal madness Mm -hmm. and i love it
0: well and, and just little things like this is where directing comes in is okay he's made the speech and now the kid is going to take the watch and you get to direct the kid how does the kid take the watch and in my mind the kid has to take in what he hears yeah. and reluctantly reach up and slowly take the watch and that's not what happened mm-hmm. that kid goes zoom yeah i want that watch and it's such a weird choice a, it's a weird choice for the scene but then the energy of it propels you directly into bruce willis sitting up yeah. from the dream yeah is that it's there's and that I'm t- there's a lot of weird things that grown-ups lay on kids. Well, <laughs> that is some weird shit to lay on an eight year-old. And you can say there are moments of racism in that monologue. The,
1: the fact that he says slope, the fact that he says yellow, dirty yellow hands, like there's these little things that are in there too. that you' like, okay okay but we excuse it in the course of that monologue because the guy you uh, just got out of pow camp he was tortured he was so he well, yeah, has that, this kind of anger towards well, his this character. situation that, that, right. that, that, that's exactly
0: correctly within the, the character why
1: isn't why well, you don't think uh... it's also
3: supposed to be period so i think right. it's a little bit more forgivable and the in the context of the film yeah because you're like oh different time
0: right. different era right so uh, apparently, Butch is not going to throw this fight. No.
1: Um, Which we saw him
0: discuss with, with Ving yeah, Rhames earlier from Ving Rains. Yeah, we had that. He doesn't throw. And it's so funny. Money. He goes into the fight, and then he is running away, still got mm-hmm. his gloves on, in his shorts, in his robe. Running out of the fight and jumping in a taxi. Yeah, one of
1: my favorite things is the the sound he makes before he goes into the fight, just as it cuts. (gasps) (gasps) Like he, it's beast like Mm. because he knows that he is psyching himself up to do something and confront something that is this massive. Yeah. And to, to turn on Marcellus Wallace, who seems to be the kingpin of this entire town and he's going to do this thing, and he is psyching himself up for more than just the fight. It's also
3: a really interesting way to reveal narrative, like as opposed to it being like, because that could be horribly expositional. Mm -hmm. It could be really clodden and wooden, and it's done in such a deft way, like where you find out all the little tidbits of information about and you realize the peril he's in, and because of what we know about Mia, yeah, because of what we know about how dangerous Marcellus is, you know like just how deep this guy is in.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And, and and then we hear almost offhand through the announcers yeah. that he actually killed the guy in the room. Yeah. Yep. And Bruce Willis's deep sadness and regret and real remorse over that. <laughs>
4: <laughs> there is none. It's so no. deep, it's so no.
0: so momentarily deep. And it's like he should have been a better fighter. Right? <laughs> I mean, right? It's just like it's, and, and this is goes back to what you said before. Yeah. It's not a lot of morality in no, this movie. No,
1: it, and even the taxi driver has no morality because she's getting off on the fact that he she keeps asking what it felt like to kill somebody. Yeah, right. And that actress uh, did a film for them that Tarantino produced. Coming out of Tallahassee and Florida State, they had done a short, hmm. and then she did a, a film, with, uh, uh, I forget what the film was called, but she is like, she's a, um, what, are they, what was Dexter, uh, what was his job?
3: I was going to say a serial
1: killer? No, no, no but he was like, but uh, he, he never analyzed never the blood. Uh, uh, oh, it's like
3: a, when you're like, this scientist. Scientist. Yeah, she was, she's, forensic, thank she's she's you. She's a I person was like, it's who a CSI. cleans
1: CSI. Yeah, she's kind of she's a person who cleans up yeah. uh, uh, death scenes through the whole movie that she was in mm. So they put her in this to kind of introduce her to the audiences mm. before they shot the film And oh, she's fantastic in that small little vignette with him in, in the taxi yeah. Which you bring which you brought up earlier Sasha This whole homage to these old mm-hmm. 40s, 50s noirs where you could see we Even in Double Indemnity shot. you yeah. can yeah. see yeah. in Double Indemnity when
0: they're in the taxi like that Yeah, Yeah, I well, love that Yeah and uh, uh, we go back to the motel, and we meet yep. Bruce Willis's very sweet and cute French girlfriend, She Fabian. Fabian.
3: Yes. She's my least favorite character in this whole thing. I, yeah, I can I see that. Because I'm like, there are certain moments. If he says, mm-hmm. "Bitch, get on the in the car or on the motorcycle," bitch, get on the motorcycle. But
0: like, that's what's so weird about her character is yeah. she is from a complete.
3: Why is this happening? Oh, Shut yeah. up! <laughs> she's just
0: a normal person in this weird world.
3: Mm. She about- I don't know if I would Aunt- say she's
1: normal. I would. I wouldn't go so far as to say normal. Okay. She's unsettling in her way. Well, this is my opinion, right? It's. it's I don't. I think she's actually quite not normal for this world that she's in. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, yeah I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. she's too intellectual at times, and too. But she's a. She's. She's almost... She's childlike. She's very childlike. An idiot. childlike. She's, she's the
3: reason everything goes wrong. Right. If, if he didn't have to go back to get the watch, right. then Vincent would be fine. They wouldn't have to deal with the right. Gimp. They wouldn't have to get raped. Like, but then this is the so kind... So many things happen because of her.
1: But this is the kind of woman he would end up with because he has these flights of anger. He throws that television thing. Like, not a lot of women are going to deal with a man like that. And so you, she is... Obviously, they both have issues they're working out that they haven't come to terms with. And this is the kind of relationship that they have to be in. He has to feel like this domineering guy who, who goes from one... Who goes from zero to 60... And then sixty back down to zero right. because after he throws the television, he sits down and says, "It's not your fault. I obviously didn't make it clear to you that I it was really important to me." <laughs> blah, blah blah, you know, like he totally. He's like, "Okay, I'm calm down. I'm because I love you. I'm gonna speak this
0: out." But okay, then he has these okay, moments.
3: Okay, sorry. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, she,
0: she exists as like a mechanism for to reveal things about his character. Yeah. You know, which is this anger, and then this, I want everything to be sweet and normal, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. filled with rage, and I'm yeah. you know it's a strange it's an odd character for Bruce Willis well she has a rage too like when he does the mongoloid voice she fucking yells
1: at him like that she really does like shut up like she doesn't say honey stop it she says shut up so she has her own things there is a very deep relationship going on between them I mean mm-hmm. like he he, li- he loves her but she's so unsettling and once again this is one of these actresses who went off and did these independent films that were right. part of the Miramax thing because she was a nice nin in that whatever the Henry Miller movie they did with Uma Thurman oh, as right. well yeah. and uh, Fred yeah. Ward as uh, as Henry Miller in the that's film right. I can't remember what the name of the film is offhand but yeah that was the, the... Um, something about
3: the doves or something
1: mm. no that's Wings of the Dove that's Helena Bonham no, Carter no but which
3: one was it? It was something like that.
1: Yeah, what was it I don't called? remember because it was it was NC seventeen or, or X because they have I got lesbian it. sex. I, I got in the movie. I got it. Oh god,
0: okay.
3: not lesbian sex. <laughs> exactly. Okay, you guys keep talking. I'm gonna find this because this is gonna drive me nuts. It's like there's a bird thing in it. It's like
0: okay, what's it's not it? Henry June. No, yes, it's Henry oh. and June. Oh, you're right. That's
1: the name of it. It's Henry Jesus. and June. Boom. Um, uh, <laughs> you're gonna cut all that out, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, I will bitch. cut all that. Out. Oh, right. I hate you. All right, go <laughs> ahead. Um, I will cut some of it out. <laughs> the schmodown down. Damn it! All right, go ahead. I like people to know that I know a lot about films go ahead
0: um, we're doing a whole podcast so You know it a lot about films The podcast <laughs> is my Fabian The podcast is my Fabian
3: Yeah she
1: bugs me I, I can respect that Sasha The way you're built I can understand that yeah, It would drive you nuts A woman like that So this, this You is, you're tough as nails girl
3: Pack the friggin watch dummy
0: She doesn't pack the
3: watch <laughs> She held it up his ass cheeks I held this watch in my ass And you can't put it in a uh, fucking bag Bitch
0: uh, Do well, you well, know
3: Walkins Suffer for that he watch? Did. He you did. don't forget that watch anywhere.
0: So, so Butch has got to go back, and yeah. I love he he sneaks up on the apartment building, and this yeah. is full like L.A. That apartment you know, building
3: is so L.A. Right? So
0: L.A. Yeah. That's the Valley. He goes in slowly, unlocks the door, walks in. I guess everything's cool. Let's have some pop tarts. Yep. And by the way, Ralph's brand, Pop-Tarts, which I like. What
3: the fuck are you doing, Pop-Tarts? Get the goddamn watch to get out of the fucking apartment. No, but everything's cool. Everything's cool. Until he sees the gun and we hear the toilet flush. And I have to say, when the toilet flushes, I was so sad. And when the door opens, I'm like... (gasps) Uh. (laughs) And honestly, that was the first moment that I really realized just like... It was sort of a... Well... I don't want to uh, spoiler. It's yeah. like a Ned Stark moment where I'm like, but you can't. Oh yeah, that's you exactly okay. Cannot oh, right. rip away from me this yeah. person that I've come to care so much about. Yeah.
0: And so suddenly and meaningless. There's no meaning to this. Yeah, it's completely like a weird coincidence. And now he's dead. Yeah, yeah. he doesn't have a cool moment at the end. No. He doesn't no have we speech. Do, we don't resolve anything. Nothing. It's just like now you're dead. And I, I love, <sighs> I love that he's reading Modesty Blaze.
1: <laughs> Which is a really insane. They've done four movies of Modesty Blaze. It's an interesting comic strip or a strip that became a whole it's about this like woman who finds her like uh, she was unknown and they find her she was this assassin she leads this group of like uh, this underworld group she got her name from her, her sensei who, who named her Modesty but then she took the name Blaze because that was the person who trained Merlin the magician so it's just like an interesting character and this is what Vincent even Vega that. is reading me, I had no idea I oh just, really I
3: just like oh, that yeah. he was reading something because the, the who doesn't read on the toilet that's just weird <laughs>
1: well listen kids people the direct, good directors put
0: shit in films for a
1: reason sure, cool. for symbolism of
0: no of course he did yeah, I just never noticed. Was what it was, yeah, and and now guess what? Butch has won. Butch has won. Everything is going to be great. Yeah, <laughs> driving down in his little Honda Civic or whatever that car is. it's, such a, yeah. weird car. it's a great car yeah. choice. Yeah, it's a great car choice. Drive along, and then who should be right in front of him with some donuts or That's something? Right. <laughs> Bruce I mean, no, no one does smirking
1: joy better than Bruce Willis. No one. <laughs> yeah, no it's one, great. No one. Yeah, Ving Rhames is stop and turn. If you've ever been caught doing anything, that's the moment you feel that. That's the, You just viscerally remember that moment when someone catches you doing something. It was and such a great thing. And then
3: his choice as to what to do and how to yeah. perceive yeah. is also such a Tarantino. You're like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll go around him. Maybe this will happen. But no, no, no. It's run straight over him and then immediately get into a massive car accident. Yep. Yeah. And nothing that you expected is going to be the same. And then it's not like... It, Either of them is still going to like lay down. They're going to chase each other. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be chaos. Right. Oh.
0: And, and and again, it's just completely surprising. Like you have no way to expect where this is even this you couldn't expect, and no. you definitely can't expect the pawn where, shop where the movie oh. goes next. No. Which
1: is my favorite it's story.
0: So horrible. This is it's your favorite. favorite? Oh,
1: this is my favorite part of the film. Really? Oh yeah, this whole the sequence gap? the whole Bruce Willis, everything up until the end is my favorite story in the film. Absolutely. Oh, man. Well, Absolutely.
3: Let's get into uh, it. Yeah. Literally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we come in. I'm putting my
0: red Bruce ball in my Willis mouth is now. Gonna, yeah. Bruce Willis is going to kill Marcellus Wallace. Guy behind the counter pulls out a shotgun. Yep. And we think, well, he's going to call the police. He's going to stop the fighting. He's going to... No.
3: Mm-mm.
0: We knock Bruce Willis out. We go to black. Mm-hmm. We come out of black.
3: And this might be in a film... So defying of expectations. Yeah. So unpredictable. The most shocking moment. Oh, yeah. Without question.
1: This is I, why I love the this, this
0: part of the film. Uh,
3: <laughs> I <laughs> want to hear how Steve's going to describe it. <laughs> like,
0: uh, we're at a shot with Bruce Willis and, <laughs> and Bing Rames, Marcellus and Butch, both tied to chairs yes. with big ball gags in their mouths. Yes.
3: Drooling ball drooling. gags.
0: It is a terrifying moment yes. because in this moment, and you see it, I don't know if it's their acting or just the way it's set up, that they're coming to grips with the fact that they're figuratively and literally fucked. Yes. Yes. There is nothing they can do. Yep. They're, they're just, they're
3: done. You know how I said earlier that I didn't, I wouldn't know the word MacGuffin if it weren't for Pulp Fiction? Right. I certainly would not have learned the word ball gag I, when I was in really, high school. I didn't or know camp, gimp had it not yeah. been for this moment.
0: I had heard the word gimp, but yeah. it was used for like someone who was limping or yes. something. Yeah. It was not
3: this. And also with these sort of like crazy redneck... Pawn shop, sex slave owners, not what you would necessarily predict.
1: Right, but this is also flies in the face of this idea of, is he using the Edward too much? No, he gives these two racists their horrible comeuppance. One is sliced to death by a samurai sword, and the other one is going to have a bunch of pipe-hidden brothers... Going medieval on his ass, and that—that oh, that yes. is going to be. Oh, I love that moment! Right, right. And this is why this is my favorite part of it because the most fucked up thing that you could happen to you could imagine happening to you in the most insane situation because you're just above civilization you're literally steps away from civilization and safety and you're about to get fucked in the ass god knows what else (laughs) with a ball gag in your mouth and you are these two men who had
0: been fighting each other are now equals in this situation they reduce the status to equals well and they're coming to terms with the thought that we might be here forever. Yes, When you say bring I mean. out the gimp, now Ooh. we don't know where the gimp came from. We don't know we how don't. he got into this situation. Yep. Maybe he got into this situation the same way as Butch and Marcellus at right. this moment. It's like, this could be it for you. Yep. For the, like and, and, the, and you see that, at least that's the thoughts going through my mind that I'm looking at their faces, yeah. them going like, and also to have been right in the middle of the most intense life and death struggle of yep. their lives, yep. And now they're in this other
3: thing. Right. It is
0: crazy. And right. then
3: when he opens the door on like the full bent over yeah. the
0: like
3: hump bench, I don't know what it would be called. Right.
0: I think the technical term is hump bench. Hump
3: bench. <laughs> Available hump hump bench. from Amazon right now. <laughs> and Ving Rams, and we just see the face with yeah. the katana about to come up yeah. and
4: then
3: and then Ving Rames's way of dealing with it of like letting him know like we are good now. Yeah like we're square. Don't tell anybody about this. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and I love, too, that Bruce Willis goes, are you okay? Yeah. (laughs) And and I love Ving Rhames' answer, which is something like, (laughs) no, man. I'm pretty fucking far from okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That is a kiss. And that's a man who is fairly clear about um, him, yeah, who he know, is at man. this moment. No. I'm not okay. I'm
3: not okay. No,
1: I'm pretty fucking but, far from
0: okay. Yeah. I'm pretty fucking far from okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but then going like, yeah, we're cool. But um, yeah. But I had to back up yeah. because my favorite moment in this movie is mm. Bruce Willis turning back. Yes. Yes. Oh, when he's
3: halfway through
0: he is free. He is free. His enemy Mar- who, yeah. who literally was trying to kill him a moment mm-hmm. before is having horrible things happen to him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like that guy. Right. And yet he stops and turns back. And this is like as perfect a hero moment as I can think of it in any movie, mm-hmm. that you, you're you going back to save your enemy from a fate worse than death. Yes. And I love, too, the trading up of weapons. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's so great. Oh, a hammer. No. Baseball bat. No. no. Chainsaw. No katana yes yeah. and when he, and i remember in the movie theater because also like years of martial arts and i'm using swords mm-hmm. and things like that and and when he saw pulled out that katana i was just like
3: yes <laughs> <laughs> this is the greatest thing ever right? and then when he actually after he has that moment of rescue yeah he rides off very literally into the sunset yeah on a, a chopper chopper it's not a motorcycle no, no, baby no. it's a chopper it's a chopper it's a chopper
1: but this is why it is my favorite story because it, it this is as as man as you can get this mm. whole sequence with Bruce Willis is as male as you can get. Boxing,
3: and, choppers, yeah, nine French yeah, girls. I had the same feeling, <laughs> well
1: yeah, cute little French girls. I had the same thing feeling with, because of, a, of my love of samurai films, when he pulled the katana out, same thing. But once again, this is his homage to 70s exploitation stuff, right? Yeah, sure. Those samurai, oh, those uh, uh, kung fu films from that time, although they'd hardly ever used swords, it's an homage to that Japanese culture and so you have those Chinese-Japanese culture, you have that all there wrapped up, the Asian culture, all there, just kind of evocating Provocative, you know, and it, yeah. that's I'd love that. So when he pulls it out and does what he does, and let's not discount that the actor who plays the uh, the deputy sheriff, whatever that guy is, Zed, whoever plays Zed, and then the pawn shop guy, he is watching with such maniacal yeah. glee, disgusting, it's maniacal glee that when they get their comeuppance, you have no moment of sympathy for these two guys. Oh, right, absolutely zero.
3: Yeah. When he Zed, shoots him in
0: the balls, Zed's dead, baby. Zed's, Zed's dead. dead. <laughs> it's so great. Um. And that's it for Butch. Yeah. Yes. Bye Butch. Bye Butch. We got to get into the Bonnie situation.
3: Bonnie situation. <laughs> Deep into it.
0: So, uh Vincent Vegas dead. Oh, wait, we're suddenly back in in this scene that at this point i literally completely forgotten about. Yeah. Like we're back in that room with these guys who ripped off Marcellus Wallace and we're in the bathroom where apparently there's been another guy the whole time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we're going to revisit the scenes and we re-hear our great speech from Sam Jackson. We hear the gunshots. Our guy in the bathroom comes out with a really big gun, fires- A hand cannon. A hand cannon, fires right at Vincent Jules. It's nothing. Yep. Yep. It is divine intervention, according to Jules. Um, this Jerry Seinfeld-looking guy—he does look right? like Jerry Seinfeld. I always thought for years it was Jerry the same Seinfeld. Thought. His career would have gone a really different direction, right? <laughs> yeah, probably. That's um, we end up in a car. Uh, we're having a conversation about whether or not it's divine intervention with Phil Lamar, who had who had right. betrayed his friends because yeah. that's how they got they found him. Yep, and uh, and, <laughs> uh, and they hit him. I know, <laughs> Vincent does not know the proper uh, taking care of a weapon.
3: Apparently. No. There is not finger on the trigger. No. <laughs> no. You're
0: just talking in a car, gesturing that's bouncing around?
3: No way. This is I terrible. went to the shooting range years ago with an ex-boyfriend, and I didn't know you're not supposed to have your finger on the trigger. Oh, yeah. And I reloaded the gun, and it went off right by my face. Holy <laughs> shit. And I put it down, and I started crying. <laughs> And And then I realized there were like pockmarks all over the ceiling and floor of people who had done similar things. But yeah, because when you watch movies, it looks like to like pull a trigger, you got a really, no, you literally, hair trigger is a very real thing. you put your finger anywhere near that. That's why you don't go over bumps with your finger on the trigger. You went over a bump. That's a great moment, and also the splatter oh. against the back window and the everywhere shock of it. Yeah,
0: it is some pretty, you know, it's a pretty brutal moment. And now we're in deep trouble. Yeah, we we're are. in the middle of the valley. But the
3: best part about it is, is they're not like, oh my god, it's like, god damn it, yeah. yeah. Why did this? But I like this suit, and this can't happen. And we got to clean the car, and it's a fucking mess. Right. And yeah. the
0: only place we have to go, the only guy we know in the valley is Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> Which is Quentin Tarantino. Yep. <laughs> I, it's funny. He's not a good actor.
3: At all.
0: I'd say of most of the things I've seen him in, this is probably the more tolerable. I would agree with that. Because the guy's supposed to be such a doofus, and his particular <laughs> yeah. style sort of sinks up in a way that I accept it more. But he's not good.
3: Okay. Actor, directors, who do you like?
0: Of directing uh, of directors who are good actors yeah kenneth brana robert redford orson well, wells no you can't do Kevin actors Costner. who are
3: directors stuff oh you gotta go the other way you sydney, gotta go sydney Pollock. there you go sydney there's Pollack a good one a director is great. Oh, who a director, director, is an actor oh. not an actor you can't say john ben
0: john houston
3: there's another good one. john houston sure yeah.
0: yeah um there are a few
3: like would you put woody allen in the actor turned director yeah, category absolutely. or the director turned actor category uh, i, I would put him in the time
0: in the writer turned
3: Actor, actor turned turn director. director. Category. Nah, fair, fair.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, but he's uh, so clearly a control freak, mm-hmm. you know, really from the beginning. And he, by the way, is a really good actor. We're gonna have to get to him. One of his films. Oh yeah. yeah, no. I I a think bunch. that
3: probably out of all of them, Sidney Pollack's probably
0: Sidney Pollack's
1: so he's solid. So good.
3: He's so talented. Yeah. yeah, I
1: love him in Tootsie. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're a
3: tomato.
0: <laughs> I, l- I love anyway. So, yeah. Tarantino shows yeah. up to not up. be Sidney Pollack. Yes, <laughs> and and we got to call him the Wolf. And yeah.
3: Then whew, I had such the hots for Harvey Keitel when I was younger. Wow. Oh yeah. Prev- beca- previous to this movie. Oh or- yeah. Hello. Do we need to talk about the bad lieutenant the next I, time I, I what? come What? Oh be yeah. The one. Bad lieutenant led into Reservoir Dogs, wow. which led into this. I my mother was very worried about. Obviously, me. as well she should be. I also had the major hots for uh, John Malkovich. yeah my mom well i had been a keanu girl forever and a patrick swayze Uh, girl but then like. by the way
0: right now i have an image of a like a photograph of you kind of sitting sort of (laughs) queen-like with malkovich and harvey keitel kneeling beneath you each one holding a foot
3: well let me tell you honey if i die let it be that (laughs) way i have a new goal life goals life goals Oh man, I love Kaitel so much. Oh, Malkovich wow. is just the best. I'll even watch a Squarespace commercial because I enjoy hilarious him so in the much. Squarespace commercial. Yeah. Oh, but when he shows up yeah. as the wolf.
0: Yeah, Kaitel. Ka- I- Ka- this is like a role that you just dream of, not because it's meaty yeah, or yeah, yeah. hard, but because it's a role where you could just come in and be awesome. Yeah. And then leave. In yeah. a tuxedo. In a tuxedo. In I mean tuxedo. it is as awesome as you could possibly yeah. be. And what's so weird again, like mm. I'm going to say it again. We started with these guys who were doing this weird robbery. Then we yeah. end up in this murder. Then we went on this crazy date through this OD. And you continually forget about it. When yeah. you're with the wolf, you're just thinking about, yeah, how are we going to clean up? You, I honestly have kind of forgotten that Vince is dead. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's so
3: captivating. <sighs> it's, Thank goodness, because if you were thinking about it, how sad you would be. It
0: would be very, very sad. Right. Yeah.
3: And let's talk about the scene with like the hose. Them getting the hose and oh, the glee that Harvey Keitel has as he's hosing them down. Oh, I love it. And that horrible wig with the blood chunks coming out of Jules's hair.
0: Um, and, and we get everything cleaned up. We're in our outfits and we go, I love the moment after they get hosed down. of yeah. like, here's some clothes. And the cut to them and those
3: t-shirts and the, and
0: the Santa Cruz shirt is just... Awesome. Santa Cruz slugs. <laughs> Fantastic moment. <clears throat> yeah. And
3: then uh, I'm completely blanking on the SNL actress's name who is oh, yeah, so Julia delightful. Sweeney. Julie Sweeney, who ends up being his mm-hmm. girl that he like... She's lovely. His daughter. Jumps in the car and goes... It's his daughter. It's his no, daughter. it's not his daughter. It's not his girlfriend. It's his no, daughter. No no. In the movie. no, 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 no. No,
0: it's neither. It's...
3: Neither. That is, he basically, they are friends and he's like, oh, come with me. And she ends right. up like, they go to get a drink.
0: Yeah. My bad. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah But yeah. she's great. And the whole sequence is so much fun. Yes. And then... And then in this breakfast restaurant and I wish I could remember
3: sure, if I enormous.
0: recognized it or thought about it the first time I saw it that we were back in the same restaurant
3: I did not I, I was I shocked don't know. Mm. I was shocked I completely didn't remember I had I was like oh that's interesting yeah. and then it the, the scene switches yeah and suddenly I was like well that is genius
0: yeah. yeah yeah we're in the middle of a conversation about how Jules is just gonna walk the earth like Kwai Chang Kane mm-hmm. which she I love because I love that show I love that show as a yeah. kid Loved it. Kung and, fu. And, uh, and then all of a sudden you cut over and hey, there they are. Mm-hmm. And then the, the realization, the oh shit, it's <laughs> right before they, now you suddenly are remembering everything you've been through.
3: It's like the anti-crash.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's a crazy crazy moment. And one thing that is weird is that Honey Bunny's line is different. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. she yells and I always I always I, this is where I wish I could talk to Sally Menke and say there had to be a reason. That they only, that this camera angle didn't work or this, something about it didn't work because that seems like a big mistake.
3: I think it's probably that it was just a better take. Yeah. That's my assumption. Hmm.
0: For what they wanted to do at that moment in terms of where Jules was sitting and eyeline or some reason why they had to do it that way. Totally. My thought has always been that's what what it sounded like from that location. No, but she says different different words. Oh, she says different words? Yeah, they're different words. Yeah. One is is I'm going to execute every motherfucking one of you, and one is I'm going to.
3: Execute every every last every last mother of, every motherfucking it's, last
0: one of you Yeah, yeah it's just, like the, where the motherfucking goes is yeah. different. okay uh, It's
3: really yeah. the in the conjunction of the motherfucker. I mean if we're you know conjunction junctioning after school rocking this Yeah, thing, you know, I, I think
0: Tarantino is the grammatical master of oh, yeah. fucking motherfucking and mm-hmm. all other swear words totally
3: and I, in this scene He doesn't just use them in dialogue yeah. He uses them on The best motherfucking wallet (laughs) in the motherfucking history of motherfucking time. Get my wallet out of the bag. Which
2: one is it? It's the one that says bad motherfucker.
3: (laughs) And then he pulls out the wallet and it says bad motherfucker on it. That's awesome. Again, mind blown. And to this day, like why I don't own a wallet that says bad motherfucker. I'm realizing as I'm sitting here, I'm like, I have failed myself for twenty three years. God.
0: Again, available right now on Amazon. I'm sure, sure it's
3: well, right God, yeah, that's cool. The
0: hump oh. bench. And and we get into, (laughs) and it's funny as the now, because we were involved in them when they were robbing this diner in the beginning going, huh, maybe this isn't such a good idea. Well, now we know it's not a good idea because Jules is sitting there Mm -hmm. and, and Vincent, Vincent's in the bathroom. Right. (laughs) Again, reading a book. Where did he get this book? I really want to know. It was probably in the car. Yeah. The car, no, the car went with Harvey Keitel. Oh. oh. Well, maybe he picked it up off uh, Tarantino's desk. <laughs> no, he was not he was not holding a book when he said goodbye to Harvey Keitel okay. and they're on foot. Was the book? <sighs> the book must have been in the restaurant. Ew. Oh, maybe it's like already was it already in the toilet oh see I love this
3: I love continuity errors I love things like this this makes me so happy not that it matters but some of the worst continuity on film ever is Basic Instinct Oh, there's a cap on the hot sauce bottle cap off the hot sauce bottle (laughs) all kinds of things Wow, where did the book well, come and from? Well, this isn't
0: even, this is beyond continuity. This is logic. This is like he had to get the book from. And, and, where? And, and, I don't know.
3: Maybe it was at the front? What? Because if he had... then he,
0: and did he okay. leave with the book what in if he had the last the shot of the movie? Oh because he has God. to have the book when he gets killed by Bruce Willis. Right.
3: But it's a different, but he's reading the comic book. But it's not oh, a comic book. It? No, 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 no it's, it's read not read it? a
0: comic book. Modesty Blaze is a book. <laughs> I think it's the same book in both scenes.
3: So it's oh, an, it, so maybe okay. he
0: had it tucked into his pants or something in those little shorts? Yes, in the back. I don't know. Um, So. I love Jules's conversation with Tim Roth. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Is so great and mm-hmm. the calmness cuz we've seen Sam Jackson have, go to these operatic heights yeah. and now the intensity and the calmness and the stare is so great and the contrast and reaction between Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer to what's going on is amazing.
2: Vincent! <laughs> be cool. Yolanda, it's cool baby. It's cool we still just talking. Come on, point the gun at me. Point the gun at me. There you go. Now, Vincent, you just hang back and don't do a goddamn thing. Tell her we're still cool. Still cool, honey bunny. How we doing, baby? I, I gotta go pee. I'm gonna go home. Just hang in there, baby. You're doing great. I'm proud of you. And Ringo's proud of you. It's almost over. Tell her you're proud of me. Proud of you, honey bunny. I love you. I love you
0: too, honey bunny. Yes. Yeah. And her performance, particularly, I want to pee,
3: is so <laughs> great. It is. And I think that that's the thing that makes all of these characters, even though, I mean, you were saying, Roka, there is no like true morality in this tale. Right. There is so much humanity yes. in it. And that's the thing, is that we can see Amanda Plummer have that moment, mm-hmm. and you can see the love that Tim Roth has for her, and you can see... Uma Thurman being vulnerable and same with Marcellus Wallace like even when he's at his angriest and I'm gonna go medieval on these motherfuckers you still see that he has a side that needs to be nurtured and cared for when
1: he lets Bruce go that's your you you love Marcellus Wallace for letting Bruce Willis go in
0: that moment because he doesn't have to either
3: that's why you care about every yeah. single one of these characters. Yep. That's and, a great
0: point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it. They all have their vulnerable moments. Oh, they course. all get brought low. I really didn't think about it. We that wouldn't way.
1: enjoy the movie if they didn't. Yeah. I feel like we yeah. wouldn't because they'd be just watching a bunch of assholes. Who, who wants to watch that? You got to give them humanity so we can connect to them. And in that moment when he's talking to Tim Roth, he's trying to save Tim Roth, which is him assuming this new mantle of his. Like if this had been blah blah, blah you'd have been dead. And he was saying about Ezekiel, like I used to say this shit because when you said that shit, it was yeah. your ass. But now I'm in this other place, and you caught me in the right time because yeah. right now you'd be fucking dead if, yeah. I was, if this was a day ago you'd
2: be dead I'm trying but I'm real trying to, hard right
1: I'm trying real, real hard.
2: hard I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd well, the and shepherd. so it's great
0: in his Bible study analysis moment of this one um, verse in yeah. the Bible you gotta pay attention to yeah. what he's saying, because it's it it is a fascinating little.
3: Is it really in the Bible, by the way? Yeah, I just always assumed it was, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah,
0: I'm I assuming the it was. Yeah, I, I it Not never in the Torah. Me to look it up.
3: Never read the Torah anyway. By the way, I Ezekiel's love that- in the Torah. <laughs> I
1: love that there's a rainbow behind Sasha's. Oh, red oh.
3: there he is. I like rainbows.
0: <gasps> oh wow, there's a really pretty. One. <laughs> I'm
3: putting my phone, I'm putting my <laughs> microphone down to go take an Instagram <laughs> behind the scenes featurette. It's a rainbow.
0: Look at that thing. It's huge.
1: That's a really good one. That's like a Muppet movie, Rainbow. Yay!
0: So,
3: okay.
1: yes, where he's talking to Tim Roth and try to, he almost tries to save his soul in a way,
0: like, go, don't be what I am. Go be something else. Oh, that's totally what it yeah. is. And it's him. He is saving his own soul in this yes. moment because yes. we see he's had no compunction about killing in the past. Right. Like, that's, you know, and now he's making this other choice. And I love, Vince is just kind of in the background. Yeah. You yeah. know, he comes in, Jules tells him to back up, and he kind of does. And then he hands Tim Roth $1500. Mm-hmm. And that's like this is the price of buying my soul. Yeah. It seems like. Totally. And then we quietly shuffle out of the movie. But strut
1: strut out. Is, I don't think <laughs> that's a strut. As much you can in those Which clothes.
0: Which one? Jules or Vince? Vince. It's
1: Travolta strutting out cuz he's I like don't think he's he kind of shuffling. He's out. walking like this because they that's that's vincent and what's great about that the juxtaposition because vince is going to stay who he is which is why he dies mm. jules does not which is why he doesn't we don't see him die in the movie we see vince die because vince doesn't do what jules does and takes the sign and becomes, and saves his soul and goes and walks the earth he goes back to marcellus wallace marcellus wallace sends him out to bruce willis he gets killed that's how it works. And he gets killed coming out of the toilet, which I ironic <laughs> as hell when you go back and see the end of the movie. But I love the fact that you, you are introduced to these two badass killers and then they spend the rest of the movie showing, like undercutting, like showing their humanity, their vulnerability, so that by the end, even in that shitty clothes that they're wearing, that cheesy Kmart clothes they're wearing, they can still strut out of that diner with a little bit of badass nature to them sure. and you
0: love them all over again. It's totally. brilliant. Sure. With it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, We've reached the end (laughs) of Pulp Fiction, and what's funny is, is uh, I remember in the movie theater seeing it the first time and just kind of having to sit. Yeah, I feel kind of how I feel right now, which is like, how do I reckon with this? What am I supposed to feel about what I just saw?
3: You watch it again?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like it's. I don't think it's a deep movie. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I don't think there's deep philosophical questions Mm -hmm. to be explored, but it is a. A complicated and unknowable movie Mm -hmm. on a certain level
3: and it's so rich it's so it's so experiential too like sometimes you know you get to the end of something whether it's a concert or you know like a last day of a vacation and you have to kind of like soak in that moment Mm -hmm. and i think that's what pulp fiction was is you have to like soak in everything you've been through so you can like fully absorb it and then there's also something really shattering about going back to real life, and that's the thing that's so transportive about great filmmaking, is you're in an entirely different world, and whether it's a dark, gritty one, or one where people's heads get blown off, or whatever, yeah. it's kind of cool to live in a world where you can go get a big kahuna burger, and sometimes it's a little sad to leave right that. Now. I'm telling you. <laughs> follow it with a red apple cigarette.
0: It's the only way to go.
3: No, the only way to go was Harvey Keitel and John Malkovich <laughs> okay. holding her feet. That's it. <laughs> Voila. Uh, That's a
0: fantastic image. Yeah. So something I kept thinking about when watching the movie was trying to clarify in my head, what is this movie in chronological order? Mm. Mm -hmm. So this movie starts somewhere in the 70s with a little kid hearing this guy come up and tell him about this gold watch he had in his ass. Yes. Okay. That's the first moment of this movie. That is the first moment chronologically. Yep. And then we go- I'm writing this down. And then we go (laughs) very early in the morning to these two guys in a car talking about stuff. Okay. And they're heading into this room and they have this confrontation where they shoot some guys. Yeah. They grab one of the guys. They leave the room. They almost get killed. Uh-huh. They're talking about almost getting killed when the third guy in the back of the car gets killed, shot in the head. Okay. I shot Marvin in the face. <laughs> so, we rush, so we rush over to Jimmy's house. Yes. The, the wolf shows up. We clean out the car. You're yes.
3: 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10.
0: Yeah, I love that moment. Yeah. I'll be there in 10. Uh, we get into our Santa Cruz shorts and T-shirts. We say goodbye to the wolf and the body, yes. and we say, let's get breakfast. Mm-hmm. And it's now maybe... what Bonnie was going to show up at like 9.30? or something? Yes. Right. So it's now like maybe 10 in the morning.
3: And they go to the diner.
0: And we go to the diner where Honey, where we're having a conversation about walking the earth like Kwai Chang Kang right. mm-hmm. and at the same moment Honey Bunny and Pumpkin are having a conversation about why it's better to rob this diner than robbing a bank. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And uh, they get up there's a robbery. Jules talks our way out of the robbery. Mm-hmm. And now somehow they get home maybe by a taxi or they take a bus because they're like up in North Hollywood somewhere. Yeah. And they get Back to Marcellus's bar. Mm -hmm. Maybe in the early afternoon. This has all been the same day. Mm -hmm. And and Vince is worried about his date with Mia. Is the date with Mia that night?
3: I think so, yeah. I thought so.
0: Yeah. So he must have gone home, changed his clothes, because he didn't even have that much time. Because he shows up at Lance's house. It's still daytime. Mm -hmm. So that means he did all that in one day. Yes. He has literally gone from the black suit to covered in blood. Almost got killed. Robbery in the diner. Yeah. Meeting Bruce Willis in the in the bar with Marcellus Wallace. Goes home. Yes. Changes clothes. Yes. Immediately goes to Lance and gets drugs. Gets high. And then, because it, it always seems sort of early evening when he's driving to pick right. up Mia. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. So
3: then there's the whole thing with Mia and the OD. Now the question is, is, is the boxing match that same night?
0: No. I'll tell you why it's not that same night. Because Marcellus is in town.
3: Oh, right. right. I was
0: thinking about this too. Is that I don't even, th- at first I thought it was the next night but I don't think it's the next night because if Marcellus was just gone for one night, why would he need Vince mm-hmm. to, to watch his girl? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be a couple nights later. Yes. And the other thing that you made me think of is is Jules is not in the sequence w- of looking for Butch because right. at this point he's already said, I'm done. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So it's maybe a few nights later. We have this boxing match. Yeah. And then... And boxing matches are usually on the weekends. Yeah, it might be a weekend. Yeah. And Bruce goes home and I'm thinking that that night... Vincent Vega got sent to Bruce to Butch's apartment that night mm-hmm. and he's been waiting there all night yeah and which is why he ended up having to go to the bathroom because he's just sitting around being bored the whole time yeah. yes and then
3: and he was there long enough that he got lazy and put right. the gun down yep
0: and then he dies and then butch goes off hits Um, Marcellus Wallace with the car we go into the pawn shop out of the pawn shop rescue Marcellus Wallace pick up the girl with the chopper and that's the chronological end of the movie absolutely yep and the chopper
3: is how we end it yeah that movie just so you know yeah is good
0: it's not not as great (laughs) it's not (laughs) as great it's not great not as great no it sort of drifts kind of drifts around yeah Yeah. whereas this movie that's completely out of order yeah is just powerful yeah
3: paced And intense and you never feel like you're missing anything by leaving a storyline that one you're like meandering and it goes and Mm -hmm. things happen. Although what's interesting about the way you broke it down. So initially Pulp Fiction was going to be uh, sort of three. It was going to be closer to like what Grindhouse is. It was Uh, going to be. Oh Or like what Four Rooms was. It was supposed to be a trilogy, but a film told in a trilogy. So there was going to be one story done by uh, Tarantino, one story written and directed by uh, Roger Roger Avery, Avery. and one story that was by a director that was never actually named.
0: Mm. It would have been been
3: me. It would have been you, Steve. (laughs) But as you're talking about it, it's interesting because it could have been the... If you get rid of Walken's ass, you could have the car be one section... Marcellus Wallace and Mia be another section through the OD and then Mm. the fight is another section and that is three movies and Mm, then you just move Walken's ass down into the fight section Mm -hmm. and what you have is still the film that they kind of were going to do you were still going to have a trilogy sure and that is a one film trilogy yep
0: um, I, like, I just keep hearing moving walk, Walkins ass. Triptych. Just uh, move Walkins ass uh, and you have move a deck,
3: A cinematic triptych. <laughs> it's going to be damn. It's
0: going to be damn. Um, <laughs> and it's funny too because I am, as John knows, I am a linear person. Yes. In fact, one of the things I do with all these podcasts is if they're out of order, I move things around until I make them linear because that's how my brain works. I like that. And I love this movie but I cannot understand how one can conceive of making a movie in this way. Oh, yeah. I understand how flashbacks work. That I could do. Mm-hmm. But I can't just, let's just put things out of order and yep. doing it the right way. I don't know how you think that way. Well, I'm with
3: yeah. you. I am th- much more linear of thought and very mm-hmm. OCD. And that is something, until you brought it up today, where it's like, oh, right. this There is another way that this story could have been told. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't think it would have been as satisfying. Well, this
1: is why I love Arrival. Because Arrival plays with that. True. And that's why, uh, is why this my favorite film of the year uh, last year, because of that notion. Because that re- it, it's so difficult to do non-linear film and make it interesting. Yep. And I think Arrival really, really did a great job of it. And this film, obviously, is you know like yeah. the number one thing uh, of being able to do it. You yeah. Know? And I, I it's, it was so much fun to revisit it again you know and you enjoy it even more like for me I enjoy it even more as I get older because there are things that I understand or connect to differently than I did when I was watching it in my 20s you mm-hmm. know and so it's so much fun to see these to be the older guy now all of a sudden and identifying with Vic and Jules a little bit I mean with Jules and uh, and Vincent a little bit more and that whole situation you know and then of course having dated a few Mias in my life uh, like it's, it's so funny now older to watch this movie again and kind of see these things that you see in other people or you've had these kind of versions of these experiences with other people. It's just awesome. And it's what's so great about Tarantino as a director and as a writer all around.
0: So Sasha, what are your final thoughts on Pulp Fiction?
3: First of all, I'm so grateful that you guys wanted to talk about it because this has been one of my favorite films for over two decades. So to be able to revisit it and to discuss it in depth like this for me is just an uber treat.
4: Awesome.
3: Um, I feel like... You were so right at the start of this, Steve, when you said that we should code things pre-Pulp Fiction and post-Pulp Fiction Mm. because it really is one of the most influential things that has happened in my lifetime and I see it in so many ways outside of what the movie actually did. Like, independent cinema is entirely different. You're talking Mm. about Arrival. I was thinking about La La Land and the color palette. Mm. I was thinking about how we have, like, the perception of certain actors based wholly on what they Mm. did in this movie and... It really is incredible. And for a man, before we started recording, we were talking about how for two people at this round table, this is not their favorite Tarantino (laughs) that you can have this not be because his body of work is that Mm -hmm. incredible and that prolific and that profound is saying a lot.
0: It's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so, for me, what's funny is, is li- like I said, this is not my favorite. I think Reservoir Dogs is my favorite. Mm. I just love Reservoir Dogs. It's great movie. Kill Bill um, is mine. Kill Bill. They're both. Um, like, I felt i need to say that for posterity's yeah. Oh, look
3: at you. You took the one that's six hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, I
0: love it. I love so, it. So I really like this movie, and I actually worked on the DVD of it, so I kind of watched it probably mm. too much in the late 90s. And what's really interesting, this is going to sound weird, is I love this movie more now talking about it Mm. than I loved it last night watching it. I agree completely. Is that I've had such a ball and it's been so much fun to dig into it. And this is the thing about films that, you know, that is obvious if you've listened to the cinephiles, but they don't just exist in the moment that you experience them. Films exist in our ability to go back to them, Mm -hmm. to examine them, to explore them, to talk about them, to quote them, to reference them. And Pulp Fiction is one of those movies that exists beyond what it is on the screen. Mm -hmm. It exists in this way in relationships between people and things that we share. And digging into it has been so much fun um, that it makes me now want to just go watch the movie again and then talk about it some more is that and that's a lot of what this podcast is about is that it's fun to talk about movies I gotta
3: say I feel like Tarantino would be totally proud
0: oh oh I'm sure I feel like he would
3: yeah Yeah. But now I'm just like, okay, so I got to go home. I got to go watch true romance. I got to go watch Reservoir Dogs. I got to just like, I'm certainly going to have to watch Bad Lieutenant. That's an offshoot. I just got it because it's awesome and you know,
0: penis. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, that's that's what we think about uh, Pulp Fiction. Of course, we'd love to hear what you think. You can always visit us on our Facebook page. It's at the cinephile C-I-N-E dash F-I-L-E-S. If you want to subscribe to us on iTunes, please do. And while you're visiting iTunes, you know Apple really likes they like reviews and so we'd like you to leave us a review I would say five star I think this episode deserves five stars five five star star review
3: it's a bad motherfucker episode yeah but if you're
0: not an (laughs) Apple guy and you want to listen to and subscribe to us on Stitcher will subscribe to us on the cinephiles there but Stitcher hates hyphens Mm -hmm. is that to qualify as racism I don't know. What, <laughs> what I take that? it as, they're, my last name is they're anti, a hyphenate. They're anti hyphen. Wow! So jerks. you have to search for Cinna files, two words, no hyphen, and you could subscribe to us there. If you want to reach me, you can always reach me on Twitter at sr morris. John, where can they reach you? You guys can always reach me at the Roca says
1: R O C H A on Twitter and on Instagram. I always love talking about films, so definitely tag us, leave the comments, everything Steve said, we love it and Sasha if people want to get in touch with you how do they do it
3: Uh, you can find me at Sasha Pearl Raver also Twitter and Instagram Pearl is spelled P-E-R-L no A and my feet are freely available (laughs) to any Malkovich or Kaitel out there who just wants to grab on them
0: you heard heard it here first ladies and gentlemen the
1: feet are available (laughs) I want to say one last thing Sasha thanks so much for taking the time to do this because it's it's, it's when we started this podcast we didn't know who we were going to be able to get what we were going to be able to talk about and the fact that people more and more coming on and, and like having a blast with us it yeah. just
3: means a lot just this is super fun this was yeah. so fun there was a rainbow yeah, Yes, and there
0: was a rainbow yeah, come on. which I think is divine intervention it's still there hell yeah um, so as, as God blesses the cinephiles <laughs> we will say goodbye that's it for this week and we will see you next time